1: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: The team that, that I look to, like I would like to emulate right now, or even be quicker, is Alley. You know, I, I saw the way like New Jersey and Buffalo and Detroit did it. That's five, six, seven years. Uh, LA did it very quickly, and I'd like to do it very quickly.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Doug Armstrong a few weeks ago talking about what the timeline is for this Blues rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. Alex, the Blues are back in action tonight, and they're going up against a team. That has done something very similar to what the Blues are trying to do right now. Now, the Minnesota Wild weren't in like a championship core contention era, but they were annually making the postseason. They were a team that was consistently getting right around that 100-point threshold. And then they went through some lean years where they had to fire their coach as a result. So... From 2013 to 2018, they made the playoffs six straight seasons. Now, a lot of those were losing in the first round, but neither here nor there. They missed the playoffs and finished last in the Central Division in 2019. They ended up picking number 12 overall that year, Alex. The following season, 2020, they finished sixth in the division, but we all know, weird year. You ended up having the qualifying round in the bubble situation. They picked number nine overall that year as well. They fire Bruce Boudreaux. They hire Dean Evason. They've made the playoffs every year since. And now they're about to be in their third straight season of making the postseason. You look at where they're at points-wise. 2022, they had 113. We all know how that season is ended for them. Good job, Blues. Yeah. This year, they're already at an 84-point threshold. They're at a 630-points percentage. Alex, as much as he talked about the Kings as being the model for the St. Louis Blues... Is there a way for the Blues to also follow the model that the Wild put out there where they were able to kind of spin off this previous core into a new era of contention?
2: There is, but it's going to have to be something that Doug Armstrong has never done in his past. And by that, I mean buying players out because the reason that they got to this point was when Bill Guerin took over with the Wild. And he was able to buy out Ryan Suter and buy out Zach Parise. That was the leadership core. I believe they also shipped out Miko Koivu. Like you had a leadership core that wasn't working. And you shipped them out and you went somewhere else with it. Could you argue
0: the Blues kind of did that at the deadline?
2: I just going to say. Go for it. They started that but they're also tied to long-term contracts still. And that's what the Suter and Parise was. That was something that they had like five more years on that contract. They had to get rid of it. So it's a mix of the leadership and also contracts that hamper your ability to make other moves. But then the third leg of this argument is you got to start hitting on your draft picks. You've got to find that one cornerstone franchise player that you draft and then start building around it because you know they were able to select in previous years Jonas Brodeen, 10th overall they were able to select like a joel erickson Ek, who's a pretty significant piece at 20th overall and i could argue that the blues have done that in the 15 to 20 range they found guys that have been impactful players but kirill kaprizov was the difference maker for them you drafted them in the fifth round and the guy has become a franchise player for you. And ever since then, you had the couple of years where you were bad, where you selected Matt Boldy 12th, and then Marco Rossi 9th. That is just the additions onto what they have in place right now. So to trend in this direction, I loved where you were going with it, BK. You started it. You started a transitioning away from your leadership core, and now you put the onus on Thomas and Kairu and Buchnevich and these players. But the one piece for you to be the wild... Is find your Kaprizov, and they might have that opportunity
0: this offseason if they get a good draft pick. Could you argue that they have their Kaprizov already internally in Jordan Cairo? Because we had those these conversations last year. I remember coming out of the World or the World Baseball Classic. Excuse me, uh, the Winter. I don't remember that. The Winter Classic. It was. Would you rather have for the next five years Karol Kaprizov or Jordan Kairou? I think the answer is Kuro Kaprizov, and it was then. It continues to be right now, and it's because of his two-way game. He's just a better defender right now than Jordan Kairou is. But if you're looking for dynamism, I mean, you could at least make the argument for Jordan Kairou. Kuro Kaprizov, though, this year, 40 goals already. He's on pace for 45 on the season, so he's an outstanding player. I'm not trying to talk down about who he is as a player, but could you say that Jordan Kairou is that guy already? And that they're looking more for the depth pieces that the Wilds have been able to either develop or sign.
2: I could see it if you squint hard enough and say, like, maybe he is that guy for you. The only difference is last season and this season. I, Kairu seems to me like an 80 point player, 80, 85 point player. I mean, Kaprizov last year was a 100 plus point That's player. Fair. That's the difference between Kairu and Kaprizov. And... Kairou is kind of this player where you're trying to figure out who works well with them. Kaprizov's you put him on the ice and everyone else meshes around him. So that's just the difference between a franchise player and a elite winger. And I think that's what you have right now. And Kairou, you have a elite winger slash centerman in Pavel Buchnevich. You have somebody who could get there in Robert Thomas. If you find the Kaprizov, that's how you can become the Minnesota wild. And again, you have that opportunity this off season but that's not the end-all be-all of it. You still have to be able like, Minnesota's able to do this because they have two really good defensemen, Jared Spurgeon and Jonas Brodine. They've had good depth pieces for the last couple of seasons that
0: have complemented what they've got. They had a line that was literally an identity line with that grief line. I mean, they, we went into the postseason, and we weren't even talking necessarily. Like, Kaprizov was a big part of our conversation, don't get me wrong. But really it was, man, how do the Blues line up with that uh, grief line? How, how do they... Yeah. How do they find a way to match that physicality? And they, the Blues did. They found a way last year in the postseason. The Blues have to develop one of those lines as well.
2: And the question with that is, do they have those players already? Like, Maybe. is that the Jake Neighbors? Can that be Snuggerud? Can that be Alexandrov and Toropchenko? Is Blake giving you some of what that line he brought to be. the
0: Minnesota Wild? You Especially
2: know? if you look at what Jordan Greenway was for the Minnesota Wild and what a Sammy Blake could be, could be. I think they're very similar players. I think the framework is in place to be like the Minnesota Wild. It might take a couple of years. It's
0: Shin, Blay, and Neighbors as that third line that kind of matches the identity of what that line was last year for Minnesota. And if you get a top four
2: pick, that's what your third line looks like because you could be talking about that player being on your second line right now. The question, though, is... Does Doug do what Bill Guerin did with Minnesota and say these players aren't working for us? We're going to have to pay them to go away so that we can
0: focus on what we have now. My answer is no. I also think that the Blues, because their players are a little younger, those players, instead of having to buy them out, you might be able to trade them. You might be able to get something in return. That that should be the goal for this offseason. Alex, over on The Athletic, while we're having this conversation, they had a piece earlier today breaking down basically the criteria that a championship contending core needs to have. And there's a lot of things that you need to be a championship contender. We know that. And every team's built a little bit differently that gets there, but they have some things in common and there's 12 different pieces. It's basically like you need an elite center, elite winger and elite defenseman and an elite goalie. That's the starting point, And then you build down from there right now. If you look at the checklist for the blues, They don't have a whole lot of this stuff. They basically have an elite winger and Pavel Buchnevich and then do not fit the criteria for anything else based on the way that guys have performed so far this year. That is in the analysis of what they have over at the athletic. I'd like to go down this checklist with you real quick to find out like, okay, if we did the skeleton depth chart of like placing guys in certain spots. Where should they best fit? What do the blues have? What are they missing? to be able to get to where you know the Boston Bruins or the Colorado Avalanche are right now in terms of a championship mm. contender do the Blues have an elite center on the roster right now or is that something they still need to get that's something they still need they don't have it right now and
2: what Alex Robert Thomas yeah I see your face T-Bone Yeah, I was surprised 2019 they had an elite sentiment according to this list is Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas the same player no that's that's it right there and Robert Thomas does it a different way than Ryan O'Reilly, and Robert Thomas can continue to mold his defensive game. But if you look at the elite centers around the National Hockey League, you don't have it. Even last season, I don't know if I would have considered Robert Thomas an elite centerman. Top-line centerman, yes. It's the conversation we do with defensemen, but he's not elite yet. Top-line center,
0: Thomas? I would say yes. Absolutely. Elite winger, Buchnevich? Yes. Yep top line winger can i put kairu there yes. are you guys okay with that i, yeah. I will i'll allow
2: it i'll allow it. he is definitely a top line winger and frankly a 30 goal season where you put 35 up you could start to have the conversations of a leap because he's 24 years old but there's still a step for him to and make do they us, have another
0: top line winger
2: right now so Buchnevich, navage Probably i probably say no. I, I don't I don't believe so.
0: Okay. Maybe Verona can be that next season, but right now, no. I agree with you guys. Top six forward, I think you could put Shin into this category. Absolutely. Agreed. Do they have another? Yeah, I, I would put Kapanen in this say, list.
4: Would Kapanen fall into that? I would
0: put Kapanen in this list. I'm going to say question mark for now. I think eventually he could be that guy, but I'm going to say question mark for now. Elite defenseman. Do you guys think they have one on the roster currently, well, Alex? Guys, this might surprise you. Yes. No.
4: Oh, they do you do think not. they have
2: a number one defenseman? They do. Pareco. Pareko is playing like a number one defenseman. Yeah, right I'm now. I'm still
0: going to go. With no. do of they course. have any other top pairing defenseman no. in your mind? Can Falk fit that criteria?
2: I, I think Falk could fit that criteria. Like if I'm going top pairing defenseman, I'm looking at, I'm talking about guys. I want on the ice 20 plus minutes a night. Falk and pareco are those players. The problem for this team is they don't have a top pairing defenseman on the left side, right?
0: They, I, uh, they have depth defensemen on the left side. I actually think I'm with you. I think that Justin Fall can be. I think he was that last literally this time was. last year. Yeah. So I'm going to put him down for that right now. And then elite goalie, the athletic would tell you no. But we know when Bennington gets into the postseason, he can fit yeah. the criteria of an elite goalie. Anybody who argues that is just incorrect. So the things that right now either are question marks or still need to be addressed either in this offseason or before they get back into being in contention. They need an elite center. They need another top line winger. They need another top six forward potentially to That's a maybe. They definitely need an elite defenseman and they need another top pairing defenseman. Right. You could do that in one offseason. It is a lot. I do think that there are potential answers for some of these questions internally top line winger maybe it's one of the guys that you are already developing within your organization maybe it can be a bull duke maybe it can be a neighbors maybe it can be i think it's Snuggerud. Snuggerud. I, I think Snuggerud's that top winger top six forward that could definitely be a jake neighbors absolutely
2: that, that could be a bull duke as well depending on i mean matt DeFranks had a really good article with him in the post talking about how he's motivated this of uh, this
0: upcoming training camp. Elite defenseman doesn't exist top pairing defenseman though i think that's something you might be able to acquire this offseason and if not it is certainly something that you need to acquire at some point over the next couple of years
2: and i know nobody agrees with this but maybe it could still be scott perunovich
0: the hope is that it's scott perunovich to be a top pair defenseman and then it comes back to the elite centerman and that comes back to what you mentioned earlier alex you're going to get a top seven pick ish top four pick that's probably where you've got to be able to find that or you make Pablo, Buc- I, I was just saying, you make Pablo <laughs> Buchnevich. But you do that, now you're searching for your elite winger. Those, though, I think are It's going to sound weird to say. A little easier to find? Well, there you are, think Jordan Kairou's elite, so... I think you could probably get away with that. Coming up <laughs> next... Is Paul DeYoung going to be on the Cardinals opening day roster by default, even with all of these injuries that he's dealt with so far at camp? He had another setback yesterday. It sure sounds like he's going to miss a decent portion of camp throughout the rest of the, I mean, really the rest of spring and potentially for the next few days. Is Paul DeYoung going to make this roster? And if he does, wh- what does that mean for the guys that aren't going to make the roster? Whose spot is he taking? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: Who is Paul DeYoung pushing off this roster that legitimately should be on the roster the way that it's set up? Who's he pushing off?
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Brad Thompson yesterday on the Fast Lane. If you missed any of their show, it was a good one. Check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, that's a question that we've been talking about a bit as well. Is Paul DeYoung a guy that everybody wants to watch on a day-to-day basis for the Cardinals in 2023? Frankly, no. Is he a guy that's taking away opportunities, though, from somebody else that is more deserving? My answer is kind of no. I I don't know who else was going to make this roster that has just torn it up at camp that won't because Paul DeYoung is on the roster. That being said, this injury situation is worth monitoring because it is once again rearing its ugly head. This comes from Ben Fredrickson's piece earlier today over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Cardinal shortstop Paul DeYoung has lower back tightness. It's going to keep him out of, of Grapefruit League games for, quote, at least a few days, according to manager Ollie Marvel, he was scratched from Tuesday's lineup and replaced by Mason Wynn. The issue is affecting DeYoung's defense more than his swing, but the Cardinals are, for now, limiting him to treatment and weight room work. This is the second time that a physical setback has altered DeYoung's camp, which is a crucial one for DeYoung, who is trying to prove that his swing changes at the plate can work for him. DeYoung continued to play through his previous issues, which was described by the player and the team as a, quote, dead arm. He could still swing, took at-bats at designated hitter, but was limited in his throwing, He had returned to the playing field before, but now there is this new lower back issue. So he's dealing with this. And it's not ideal for him. Frankly, it's not ideal for the Cardinals. We don't know the severity of it. This is all that we know about his issue right now with his back as of today. Alex, what do you think this means for DeYoung? What do you think this means for the Cardinals? Do you think that he still makes the Cardinals roster on opening day by default? I I think he
2: does from the Cardinals' perspective, especially if you're getting the comments of, you know, we want to see what he can do, but right now he's just not healthy enough. They're going to give him every opportunity to show his swing has changed, and as we talked about earlier yesterday, you know, he's working the plate a little bit better with with some walks. They're going to put him on the roster because of what you said. He's not taking any playing time away. He's a a once-a-week-per-player, and he's a good locker-room player to have around because he's got relationships with everybody, and he'll be able to step in and give days off to people when they need it. That's why I believe he's going to make it. What it does for Paul DeYoung, though, is you you spend all offseason working on this new swing and eliminating the leg lift so that you can add more consistency and contact to your approach, but you're not able to put it to use. And if you don't get enough grapefruit action in, and you're just taking swings on the backfield, you're not seeing against opposing pitchers. And if you're not even seeing against opposing minor league pitchers, what are you going to do when the actual major league games start and you're going up against Alec Manoa or Garrett Cole or things like that? So what it does for Paul DeYoung is this is a massive step back, and the one time a week you might see him, he's not going to be effective. So how much longer does Paul DeYoung hold on to that roster spot?
4: Yeah, I think he's probably going to make the team by default, and it, it's tough because Alec Burleson's the guy that I think had the opportunity to really kind of push him off of the roster, and he hasn't just played well. He's really kind of cooled off. He had that quick little spurt in spring training at the very beginning where it's like, oh, hey, maybe that's the Alec Burleson you saw in Triple A. Since then, he's gone cold, and I mean, his slash line's not good. He's got a 531 OPS, and he's batting below 200, so... He was probably the only guy that could possibly push Paul DeYoung off the roster. And I think right now Paul DeYoung will probably be on there because of what we're saying. He's only going to be playing once a day. At least gives you a backup shortstop. The disappointing part is, is you haven't been able to see his swing. You haven't been able to see these new this new approach that he's going to have to the plate. And I wonder, we'll see how many more games he's able to get in. I wonder if they do start the year by putting him on the I.L. and then they can send him on a rehab assignment to gain timing because there's no way his timing has been able to catch up. I mean, he only has it's only been a small amount of at bats. I mean, I think he's on like the second page at Cardinals dot com because of 13 at bats so far this spring for him. So he has not been able to work on his timing, which is a big thing for him. And because the Cardinals don't know what they truly have in him, it's hard to tell if what happened in the off season truly worked with the revived swing. But I do think he'll make it just because it's more of hey, Burleson hasn't really beaten him out for the job. And this guy's it's a sunk cost, but he's making the $11 million. So we'll put him on the roster.
0: Young has not been good. I'm not going to argue that he has so far during spring training. It's super limited opportunities. He's only had 13 at bats thus far in the spring, but He's taken his walks. He's got a 420 op- uh, on base percentage and his OPS is 883. Again, I'm not going to argue to anybody or try to sell you on the notion that you should be excited about what Paul DeYoung has done so far in spring. You shouldn't be. Here's the problem. There was a clear opportunity here and the way that it has been represented by Gomez and Burleson. I think those are the two we've talked about Bur- Burleson. I-, I think you could throw Gomez into this as well, because the real role that DeYoung could have is twofold. One, a utility infielder plus like backup shortstop, but two, a right-handed power bat off of the bench. Like If a lefty came into the game late in a game and you had a lefty at the plate, you could potentially throw him up there to get some power. And so that's where Gomez, I do think, could potentially factor into this. Gomez has a 600 OPS in the spring. Burleson has a 531 OPS in the spring. Neither of them have shown well. Now, that doesn't mean they're bad players or that they won't eventually earn an opportunity on the big league club but they're both on the 40 man roster. They had an opportunity to be able to take this position and run with it. And neither has. So to answer the question that BT is asking there, which I think is a fair one, who is he keeping off of the roster? Nobody, nobody reasonable. And so this gets us to the Mason Wynn conversation. And BT also talked a bit about Mason Wynn yesterday on the fast lane because I know that we're gonna get the text three one four three nine 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 six four six. BK, that's great. You could talk about these other guys, but what about Mason Wayne?
5: You could just throw him onto the roster. Here's BT yesterday. He's been my favorite player to watch. Mm-hmm. He's been the most entertaining baseball player maybe the Cardinals have, even with Jordan Walker in it, because of everything that he does on the field. What he does at shortstop, the rocket arm, he's hitting for power. He went oppo taco the other day. He's doing everything that you would love to see. He needs more reps in the minor leagues. So he needs to play. He's, If he's not a part of the plan right now, and by the way, I think this spring has expedited your plans for him, and maybe he gets there a little quicker than you expect, but he can't be there.
0: I agree with BT again. Is he eventually, is Mason Wynn eventually going to be your starting shortstop? I think, yeah. I think Mason Wynn, we're starting to see now why the Cardinals stayed out of the shortstop market this offseason. We were all skeptical of the plan. Uh, To be totally honest with you, I, I still have a little bit of questions about, you know, was that the right move? Could you have potentially made this work with somebody else? But then you see the salaries that are getting handed out to all of these shortstops, and you say to yourself, okay, I, I kind of get it. I, I do understand a little bit what the plan is here. And if Mason Wynn makes good on the promise of who he can be as a player, and man, has he looked good so far during the spring, that should get you excited as a Cardinals fan. That being said, your starting shortstop right now is Tommy Edmund. Your starting shortstop should be Tommy Edmund going into the season. Your starting second baseman is, depending on the day, Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan. Those guys should be your starting second baseman right now. You have guys that are going to be filtering through the DH spot, whether it be Goldie, Arenado, Contreras, one of the outfielders that's in the lineup, or one of those second basemen that's not on a lineup on a day-to-day basis. There is eventually a bit of a roster crunch. You can make it work with, like, 11 guys for the nine spots on the lineup on a day-to-day basis. The 12th man is your backup catcher. The 13th man is whoever is in this role that we're talking about right now. And so that's where it does come back to the Paul DeYoung versus question mark, whoever that player is. And as long as DeYoung is healthy, I think he is still the best man for that job. It's not about the money. It's not about what I expect him to be this year. It's about the fact that you've got him in a role where he's not going to be playing very often. He does have defensive value still in the middle infield, and it allows you the opportunity to buy more time for Mason Wynn to develop. When Wynn's ready, when he bangs down that door the way that everybody was talking about, maybe Nolan Gorman would last year, and he did eventually bang down that door then you can make harder decisions about what your roster looks like. But he has not forced you to do that yet, and the Cardinals do not need to make that decision just yet. That's likelier to happen either in the mid or late portion of this season.
2: I I, I get it, and I'm with you. Mason Wynn shouldn't. Mason Win's not even a thought for me until next season, because I don't want him to be a part of this club until next season, because I got my roster. Mason Win, go be the stud in AAA all season.
0: That could change depending on injuries and performance and stuff. But Absolutely. Yeah. But if
2: everything plays out the way we expect it to, Mason Wynn, be the stud in AAA all season. But uh, me personally, I would I would rather see like a Alec Burleson or a Moises Gomez or something like that in a Paul DeYoung spot. Because at least I know that the bat can play in a DH spot once or twice a week, maybe more uh, more than Paul DeYoung there. But yeah, I mean, it, Mason Wynn has been just as exciting, if not more, than Jordan Walker this spring training. And I gave you the comp in the office earlier. Uh, Mason Wynn needs to be your Edgar and because you stayed out of this market for two straight years, Tommy Edmond is not going to be the shortstop for the next five to six seasons for you, so you need to find that guy, because you've been playing this game for the last ten years of finding out who's going to be your shortstop long-term, and you've never figured it out. Figure it out with Mason Wynn, be Edgar Renteria, and then my... My concern over
0: not going after a shortstop in free agency will be eased. We got this from the 314 guys. How much did Bowtie pay you to do a pro to young anti-win segment? If that's what you heard us saying that I don't know what to tell you because I'm not pro to young. I'm pro the 13th man on the roster gets too much discussion. I'm pro the fact that this roster right now, when you look at the way that the lineup can be discussed or, or can be configured on a day to day basis, it can be really good guys. But you got to find playing time for everybody. And that's really hard to do when you're trying to make it work for 11 different players every single day. When you're only at 10, maybe you could do it. 11, maybe you could push it there. When you get to 12 guys that you really feel like need close to everyday opportunities, there is a numbers crunch. Eventually, there does come a point in time where somebody's going to be left off. It's like when we talk about the bullpen. There's always that guy that's kind of like break glass in case of emergency, and he doesn't throw for a week at a time. That becomes who this player is on the position player side of things as well. Paul DeYoung's in that role right now, and that's a good thing. We we didn't want to see DeYoung. They have now made the roster in a way. They've constructed it in a way where you don't have to. He's probably going to play like once a week this year. That, that's a great, great sign for where the roster is right now.
4: And if for some reason, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but say Tommy Edmond got hurt and got put on the IELTS. Well, then you as bring while, up Mason Wynn. I don't even think they would go to DeYoung. I think they would bring up Wynn I and agree. they would leapfrog Paul DeYoung and they would start Wynn <laughs> until Edmond's healthy and then they would probably send him back down because it is all about playing time and continue developing him right now. And if
2: Paul DeYoung's bat doesn't play in the first month of the season as the 13th spot and Alec Burleson starts in AAA or Moises Gomez starts in AAA and they're hitting, they'll get up. If Paul DeYoung's bat doesn't play and somebody else' bat is playing— They'll bring that player up.
0: Yeah, I don't think it'll be Win, but I do think that they will bring it'll somebody else up. Yeah, it'll no, be Burleson, it'll be Gomez, injury. it'll be something like that where they can put those guys in situations where Agreed. they can potentially have success. Last thing here from the 3-1-4, guys, since when are we out on Tommy Edmund? We're not. We're very much not out on Tommy Edmund. But Mason Win projects, and it's a projection still, to be better than Tommy Edmond as an everyday shortstop. He's got a little bit more pop. He's got the potential to be more dynamic as a player. I don't know what this is eventually going to mean for Tommy Edmund. And frankly, that's not a discussion we need to have yet because we're not there. But when it does happen, and I think it's more of a win than an if at this point in Mason Wynn's development, I I think it's going to be a fun conversation to have because it means you've got too much talent to play on a day-to-day basis. We haven't had those kinds of conversations for the Cardinals in a decade. So it is changing the discussion of what the Cardinals can look like day-to-day, week-to-week, and even year-to-year, honestly. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, our NCAA Tournament regional breakdown. We continue with the Midwest. What's the game you're most intrigued to see? Who you got coming out of this region? And what is your upset pick for the Midwest? We'll give that to you next here on 101 ESPN.
3: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: x and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. I've already had to make a change to my bracket, ladies and gentlemen. The Midwest region is the one that we're going to be breaking down today. Last night, Mississippi State lost to <laughs> B- Pittsburgh. Oh, I had uh, Mississippi State making it to the second round of the bracket. <laughs> they will no longer Hot damn. be part of my first round winners Alex let's get into our regional breakdown again this is the Midwest region headlined by Houston Texas is the two seed Xavier the three seed and Indiana the four what is the game that you're most intrigued to see in the Midwest in the first round Alex Ferrario Texas A&M and Penn
2: State Hmm. I I think I saw Jerry Palm had Texas A&M as like the second best team out of the SEC um, in Penn State, unfortunately for our guy Tanner Hendrickson, we I saw hate, it was all about it. I him. hate. That we team. saw how they can destroy somebody's hopes and dreams. I, a seven versus ten matchup with those two teams, I'm intrigued by because the next round you're taking on Texas, and Texas arguably could have been the number one seed, and I, I, you got two powerhouses there that maybe could give Texas a run for their money. So I'm going to be
0: real intrigued with that one in the Midwest. Jalen Pickett, again, as Tanner knows, oh. is a stud. Oh tanner i will be curious to see how they line up against one another i do think that's one of the more intriguing matchups. Sorry, T-Bone. t-bone what do you have your eye on
4: i hate that guy uh i would say indiana kent state is the game for me because i'm not sold on indiana and kent state is interesting to say the least i mean when you look at them they they're a gritty team they've played some tight contests throughout the season i mean they only lost to houston by five lost to gonzaga by seven so they're a really good team, and they've played some tight games when they've played up to their level of comp- to the higher levels of competition. I'm not sold on Indiana. This is the one that I'm most intrigued to see.
0: Kent State's one that a lot of people have been uh, marking down as a potential upset candidate. Uh, I, I like it. I, I'm with you on Indiana, where I don't know how good they actually are. I don't. I'll be totally honest with you guys. I don't know how good the Big Ten was this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that people overestimate how good it was because everybody was somewhere in between. I think it was a lot of mediocrity. I think we do this with the SEC sometimes. Where we're like, man, look at how great everybody is. Everybody's eight and four. It's a gauntlet every weekend. Are they eight and four because they're good or are they eight and four because everybody's pretty flawed? And then we have Alabama on a typical year that's like headlining the, the way. doesn't mean that everybody else is better by default. I kind of felt that way about the Big Ten this past season. I, I'm not sure how good they were, so I'm with you on that one. Another team that I'm very curious about, and this is your classic 5-12 matchup, Drake versus Miami. Guys, I don't know if Miami's any good. Let will be totally honest with you. I'm not sure that they're actually that good. Agreed. And Agreed. Drake feels like that kind of team that can come in and just upset the apple cart. Very good shooting team. They're your classic, like Darian DeVries. We've all heard of him as a power five coach that could get some love on any given season. I think they're the exact type of team that could pull off this first round upset. So for me, I am actually picking them to beat Miami. That's my five twelve game, and it's always the one that you look at. That's the one that I'm going to be picking this year.
4: I have them upsetting them, too. And what's fascinating about Drake, the average age for them is over 23 years old. They, yeah, they are, are a, a very
0: experienced team. team. If you're looking at experience for Division one players, they are in the top 30 in the country. If you're looking at continuity, like guys that play together all year long, they're in the top 20. They're older. They've played a ton of basketball together. This is a team that I I think every year we see teams like this. And so that would be my first round upset. And that's where we get to next. Alex, what's your most likely first round upset in the Midwest? So
2: I actually have two first round upsets in the first round. Uh, One of them is Drake taking down Miami. But because that's the one you guys went with, I'm also taking um, Kent State over Indiana. I, I, I believe Indiana can win this one, but it feels a lot like the Mizzou Utah game where you're either going to win one of way. You're going to win by shooting the three and knocking everything down, or you're going to get blown out. And that's how I feel about Kent State and in Indiana. Kent State can push it a little bit. I don't know how they're going to be defending the basket, but they can push. They have got speed. They've got a good shot. Uh, so I'll take Kent State taking out Indiana. That's one of my upsets.
4: I have both Drake and Kent State winning in the first round. I, I like the experience with Drake, and then Kent Kent Kent, Kent, State, Kent State. Excuse
2: me, Kennesaw State. Well, there's one. Yeah, there's Kennesaw Sa- State Kenesaw down Sa- below State too. too. So
4: there, I, I like Kent State. I like both those teams. Teams. Can I tell you someone I think might be on upset watch? I, I'm not going to pick them just because it would be bold, and I don't want to see my Houston, bracket blow up in day Kentucky one. Take
2: taking on Houston? No, Colgate,
4: Colgate over Texas. Yeah. Best three-point shooting team in the country. There's only two ways this game goes. Colgate either wins outright, or they get blown out of the water by Texas. Well, It will be interesting to see Texas, a great defensive team. Colgate, the best three-point shooting team in the country. And typically, I lean towards teams that shoot the three well. I, I, I am interested to see what Colgate looks like against if Texas. If that's
2: the case... Just to jump to the next one here, because it plays into it for me, the sleeper team to come out of this region. If Colgate can beat Texas, I got Penn State making it to the final four. So,
0: wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. Didn't, didn't see that one coming. For what it's worth, Colgate has played one top 100 team so far this year. They you, got blown out. Any guesses on what happened in that game? I think, it was against lost, Auburn. Lost. I think they lost by like 33. They lost by 27. So oh, it, it did not close. go well for them the last time that they went up against a high level opponent. I have Penn State actually winning in the first round against Texas A&M. It's a game that I've gone back and forth with. It's not a huge upset. Um, I already told you guys I've got the 5-12 matchup with Drake moving on. But my other upset, if I had to give you one more, Penn State over Texas A&M. As we continue breaking down the Midwest region, who's the sleeper team? Alex the sleeper team, that has a real shot to go further than people expect. I'm guessing you're going to tell me Penn State. It's
2: Penn State, and Final Four might be a little too risky, but I could see fin- I could see Penn State and Houston meeting to get to that Final Four. And Penn State, despite, I mean, they got to get through Texas A&M, which is probably going to be their toughest challenge, but if you get a Texas Colgate matchup in that second round, whoever that is, and then you're talking about Xavier, Iowa State, Pittsburgh. So I could see Penn State making it all the way to the Elite 8 and Final 4.
4: To me it's Kent State is the one for me. I don't oh, know if they would go to the Final damn. 4, but I could see where they can get to the That's bolder than mine. I would say Elite 8 sweet 16 somewhere in that range. I I think they can give everybody a fight, man. They force turnovers. They've got some experience and they've played tight games against Houston who's in their group, Gonzaga. I mean, if you can play tight with those teams, you can beat anybody. So I think they're the team that if we're looking at it and you're going, "Man, my bracket was busted it is probably because kent state
0: went on a bit of a run so my non-top four sleeper would be drake i've got them going to the sweet 16 in my bracket personally again experience a lot of guys that have played with uh, with each other consistently uh i'm gonna take drake as my sleeper team i do not think that they will make it to the elite eight but if i'm going with one that's beyond the top four that would be my team my sleeper team to make it to the final four though is Xavier. I think people are sleeping on what Xavier has done so far this season. They're a top 10 offense in the country right now. They are an incredibly high, high performing uh, three point shooting team. They have a win, multiple wins actually this year over Connecticut, who a lot of people are taking. They just beat Creighton in the Big East Conference tournament as well. I think Xavier is a team that too many people are sleeping on right now. I'm picking them to get out of this region. Um, They are my quote-unquote sleeper, even though they're a three-seed. Alex, who do you think is getting out of this region? I've got Xavier, as I just mentioned.
2: I've got Houston. This is is where the chalk comes into it. I've got Houston, Penn State matching up, and I've got Houston going to the Final Four out of the Midwest.
4: I've got Houston as well. I think they're just a completely all-around team. I think they get to the Final Four, and I honestly— don't know if they have much trouble with it. I I think if I have them meeting Kent State, I think they might push them a little bit, but otherwise, I I think they kind of come through here unscathed. Where it could
2: get interesting is if Texas A&M meets up with them. Because I think Texas A&M could give them a run for their
0: money. Who's the team you're most confused by in this region? You look at it and you're just like, I, I don't know which way this is going to go. And it could completely alter my bracket depending on which way it ends up. Going. <laughs> I really think it's A&M. I, I think it, that's, for me, that's the one as A&M. well. A&M versus Penn State. Because I think both yeah. teams have the potential to beat Texas. And if they were to do so, I I mean, it, it completely alters this region.
4: Mine's Xavier. I, I don't really know how to read ah, Xavier. No I, Penn I'm State not as, huh? I'm not as, no, I'm not. I'm not as bought in on Xavier as as you were, where you said they might be a team that could be asleep, being slept on. I've got them losing in the Sweet 16 to Texas. Again, hopefully Colgate doesn't upset them. But Texas
0: might be the team that we should be answering here because none of us had Texas yeah. coming out of this region, and Texas has been awesome all season long. The,
4: the, and that's why I wonder about this Colgate game because, again, I, I have my eye on it, but I'm not bold enough to say that Colgate's going to upset them because they struggle from three-point range. As good as Texas is and they distribute the ball well, they can go through cold stretches from the three-point range. And if you lose the first 10 minutes of the first half to Colgate and they're hitting shots, all the momentum shifts to them and all the pressure shifts to Texas. And I can see that playing out throughout this tournament. Could I see Penn State beating them in the round of 32? Absolutely I could. But I think they can somehow work their way out of it. I've got them meeting Houston in the Elite Eight.
0: Tomorrow, we will continue our countdown of the NCAA tournament by breaking down the final two remaining regions. By the way, if you haven't already done so, get signed up right now to play in this year's Bracket Madness Pick'Em Challenge at 101ESPN.com. How about this? Free to enter. And if you are the top scorer, you're taking home a $250 Fanatics gift card and a 101 ESPN prize pack. You can see the contest rules and get signed up to play in bracket madness right now at 101espn.com. It is all brought to you by Neutral and Twin Peaks. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll get to questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right
1: back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314 VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save
0: hundreds of dollars a year with (laughs) CarltonInsurance.net. Nine 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 six four six is the air covered service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to your questions right now. This one comes from the six three six guys. Do you think that Mizzou will make a Final Four at some point under Dennis Gates? I do. Uh, I this hopelessly optimistic. Uh, I think that Mizzou absolutely can make a Final Four under Dennis Gates. I know that sounds overly optimistic, but man, what he did this year—I I have no reason not to be. So, is yes. it going to be because—is it going to be because
2: of recruiting or? transfer portal
0: yes all of the above and in-game coaching i think i think the thing that goes most underrated about what dennis gates has done so far this year his after timeout calls are unbelievable he's a really good in-game coach i think he did a great job of deciding what his rotation was going to be and cutting that down and then depending on the matchup determining what the best course of action is within that rotation I i think dennis gates is just a really good basketball coach i've got him in the sweet 16 this year so um Maybe they make it this year. I Their region is freaking stacked. I was gonna dude. say, it's yeah, so frustrating. Fr-
4: they got a bad draw in the first round. I uh, got
0: them in the sweet six. Not only too. do they have to beat one of the best three point shooting teams in the first round, but then they get Arizona, who is excellent, and then potentially either Creighton, who could probably be a top three seed in most seasons, or Baylor, who is for some reason again being slept on this year.
4: I uh, so, I'll, yeah, I'll, it's gonna
0: be tough. I'll Yippee. say yes to
4: this question: that Gates can get to a Final Four, but I I have some like cautionary tale of that because like at this point what I've already thought Brad Underwood been to a final four my answer would probably be yes and here I am looking at a disappointing season and don't know what the future holds No so, man, if
2: they win the first round that's not a disappointing season no,
4: no they win over uh, Arkansas I would be happy
0: that's called success that's an acceptable year
4: but in terms of like looking at it in the long term of the year kind of disappointing
0: this one comes from the 314 I'm curious your guys's answer on this Who do you think will have a bigger attendance on Saturday, the Battlehawks or City SC? City will be sold out. I would be shocked if City is not sold out. So that means like 23,000 basically. Yeah. So do you think that the Battlehawks will get more than 23,000? They had 38, if I'm not mistaken, last week.
2: Yeah, I would say the Battlehawks. And that's no shot at City SC because they will be sold out. But so will the Battlehawks. I mean, that was a home opener I get, but they won that game. And so now people just want more.
0: I think you're right.
2: And you would imagine the dome, because they could only I think always it'll be s-
4: closer. I don't think they'll get 38,000. I think uh, they'll I, get more like 30 to the 25. The
2: dome had to stop selling tickets because they didn't have enough employees to take care of the amount of people there. I would imagine the dome wises up a little bit coming into this week. I would say I, it surpasses I, I 30.
0: For what it's worth, I don't think they have opened up the 400 level. I could be wrong on that. I'm going to check to make sure that I didn't see I something. Have them doing. I, so I, I don't think so. I think so. they only opened up the 300 level so far. So. Someone from
4: 636 says 27000 already sold for the Battlehawks. If that's the case, I'm going to take the Battlehawks okay. because they'll surpass City yeah. then. Yeah, the 300 we'll level 30. is
0: officially open. The 400 level has not been opened yet. So I don't think that they get to the 38 that they were at last that last week. I think that ends up looking like an outlier. Not that that's a bad thing. Again, not putting anything down. But um, that I bet you they get to around 30 like that so I think think they surpassed I think they surpassed 30 uh 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 314 guys is there any free agent signing so far that you have seen that stands out as potentially the best fit or just something that you really love to see in the NFL I will tell you one that I really liked uh if you're a fantasy football player I would keep your eye on this as you like think to what six months down the road I think there's a real chance, Alex, that next season, the leading rusher in the NFL is playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, and his name is Rashad Penny. I saw that. I I think Rashad Penny on the Eagles is going to be amazing. When he's been healthy, he has been an unbelievably explosive player for the Seahawks. The problem has been health. Mm -hmm. He's now going to a team that I think has the best offensive line in the NFL. I think Rashad Penny to the Eagles. It's kind of an under the radar signing. I think that's the best fit so far for anybody.
2: I, if There's not one that's been like, oh, man, what a signing for that team. But I didn't mind Baker signing with Tampa. Like with that wide receiver core and for how much Baker loves to throw the ball, you would imagine that there's going to be somewhat of success there. But there's really hasn't been one that I'll be curious to see where Darius Slay goes. Him not getting re-signed by Philadelphia, man. If I wonder if he goes back to Detroit, because now you got a competent team now that has a lot of success underneath their belt. But I, I would say probably that's been the one that's been the most intriguing to me. See,
4: there hasn't been a lot that have really stood out to me. The team that I've loved what they've done is San Francisco. I love the uh, Hargrave deal, four yeah. years, eighty-four million, yeah, bring him in, one. be in the middle there. The other, and I, I love their signing of Sam Darnold because, though I'm not saying Sam Darnold's a franchise-altering quarterback, and probably never was when he got drafted. I I thought there there were times last year with Carolina that you saw what the hype was around him when he got drafted. And now he's going into a system with Kyle Shanahan, if he has to play because Trey Lance isn't ready and Brock Purdy's more than likely not going to be ready coming off of Tommy John surgery, essentially. I do like him as a kind of the fallback option for San Francisco. So I've been really impressed with what San Francisco's done.
0: Coming up next, we're gonna dive into our 20 most important cardinals for the 2023 season with number 10 on our list. We are officially into the top 10. How about that? We're getting to it coming up next in 15 minutes, more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. important cardinals for the 2023 season on pk and ferrario number 10 ryan helsley seven pitches seven strikes the 0-2 he struck out the side nine pitches helsley what a night nine pitches
0: nine strikes and the cardinals take game two Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season with number 10 on our list. It is Ryan Helsley, the Cardinals closer going into the season. He was at number 11 on both my list and Alex's list. T-Bone loves him. some Ryan Helsley, he had him at number six on his list. Hot damn, T-Bone. There, there's a reason to love him, man. He's coming off of one of the more dominant, Cardinals seasons by a reliever that we've seen in recent memory. You look at what he did last season. He gave up a total of nine earned runs over the course of almost 65 innings pitched. He appeared in 54 different games, had a 1.25 ERA, The strikeout rate was outstanding at more than 13 strikeouts per nine innings. He did not have a walk issue. He ended up being healthy for the first time in his major league career at the age of 27. And he was as dominant as you could have possibly asked for. Alex, what's the best case scenario look like for Ryan Helsley in 2023?
2: Top three reliever, top three closer in Major League Baseball at the end of the season. I just looked back at this to see kind of who led the way with saves and it was Emmanuel Clase with uh Cleveland, 42 saves and a 1.36 ERA. That might be pushing it for me, but I would ex- I would say best case scenario for me is 40 saves for Ryan Helsley and sub 2 ERA. One of the best closers in the game at the end of this season.
4: I say best case scenario it's it's He's one of the best guys in baseball again, probably pitching at an all-star level, and it looks a lot like it did last year. Maybe the ERA is a little bit higher because 1.25 is insane, but the strikeout strikeout rate is there. I The reason I had him so high, the Cardinals don't have a guy that can do what Ryan Helsley does when healthy. They don't have a guy that's got this kind of swing and miss stuff and doesn't walk anybody and can close out games. And a lot of people would say, well, Geo can do that geo kind of can do that but you don't want to see him do it for a big chunk of the year that's why he was so high on my list
0: i think that's exactly what it is i i don't know that he's gonna have those crazy high save numbers because i just don't know that that's gonna be the way that ollie Marmol utilizes his closer he's gonna bring him in in certain situations where it's the seventh inning you've got the middle of the order coming up the two three four hitters for a great lineup and that's where he's going to utilize it. He's going to say, you know what? This is the best spot right now to be able to, to close this game out. If you're looking for a comparison, guys, I think I've got one for you that could end up being what the the rest of Ryan or the next three, four years looks like for Ryan Helsley. I think it's Liam Hendricks. Now, they're not the exact same players, but Liam Hendricks early on in his career was an okay pitcher. Not great, but he was fine. And then like later on in his career in Oakland, really 2019, something clicked for him. He had crazy eye velocity and he ended up even like getting it up a tick. It went from being around 94, 95 for most of his career to being around 96, 97. And now he's at 98. He went from being a guy that struck out one batter per, per inning, basically to 13 Ks per nine. I, it's hard to know exactly what worked for him, but He upped his strikeout rate, he dropped his walk rate, and then everything else clicked into place. And now for the last four years, Liam Hendricks has been one of the better relievers in all of baseball. And if he was available this past offseason, we all were in favor of finding a way to go ahead and acquire that guy. I think that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping that what happened last year is just the start of something that can be sustained for Ryan Helsley. So that's the best case scenario. Alex, what is the worst case scenario in your mind for Ryan Helsley? I guess worst case scenario. and would... Let's not bring up injuries just because yeah. that's a worst case scenario for every pitcher.
2: Worst case scenario is he he loses his touch as the closer. Maybe you get the yip, something like that. And not saying that that happened to him because I think it was, was whatever took place at the end of the regular season that carried over into the postseason last year but worst-case scenario is you lose Ryan Helsley as your everyday closer because if you don't have him, I'm on the side of Tanner. You don't have a closer. Giovanni Gallegos maybe can get you through a week, but that's it because we've seen him have the ups and downs, and you know you don't have, although he was injured last year, the Alex Reyes fallback that we used to talk about. You don't have a fallback. The fallback is minor league guys and guys that you haven't seen sustain major league Opportunities. So worst case scenario is you lose Ryan Helsley. He gets the yips or he is not your closer that you can count on.
4: Yeah, worst case scenario for him is that he just kind of loses command of the strike zone and reverts back to walking guys. He gets back to that 5.1 walks per nine back in 2021. And of course, we know he was hurt back then. But I, I think that's the worst case scenario because I think the stuff is always going to play for Ryan Helsley. I think he's always going to have swing and miss but can you command that will be his biggest question mark because it was that was the issue with Alex Reyes outside of health was he had the swing and miss but he'd be erratic at times and I think that's the worst case scenario to where he becomes erratic it looks kind of like the Alex Reyes experience maybe where you're going to see some spurts of swing and miss but you're also going to see spurts where like man can he be our closer and if again if he fails and it's why I had him all the way up on my list if he fails not only is it a changing point for the St. Louis Cardinal season. They go from a team that's might be shopping in the reliever market to having to be massive buyers and looking at some of the top end
0: guys and selling some of their best prospects to fix the bullpen. I think it's that strikeout rate. If that strikeout rate comes down, suddenly there's a lot more concern about Ryan Helsley because last year he was at 40%. He also did have not a high walk rate, but he walked 8% of the batters that he faced. It's more than what you'd like to see from a dominant closer but it's fine because he more than makes up for it with a strikeout rate. Again, 39% last season. If that comes down and it's more around like 25 to 30%, and I don't expect that, but if that were to be the case, that's when maybe you would have a little bit more concern about okay is this gonna work long term as the closer is this gonna be a dominant force at the back end of our bullpen or is it more of a guy that you trust for the eighth inning that would be my like worst case scenario is you've got a question on whether or not you trust ryan helsley to close out games going into the postseason right now i don't i don't have that concern despite what happened last year because i do think what you said alex is true i think that had more to do with the injury than it did anything else. So Ryan Helsley, number 10 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023. While we're on the topic of their bullpen, Alex did want to bring up a couple of guys that I have I think have earned some pretty high marks based on what they've done so far throughout spring training. The first is Jake Woodford and Brad Thompson mentioned him on the fast lane. I think this was last week when talking about what the bullpen would look like. Here's what BT had to say about what he's seen so far from Woodford
5: the way that jake has thrown the ball he is firmly on this team right now i don't see how you couldn't unless you just really wanted to utilize him as insurance at triple a to start but it's been nine innings for him so far in spring training he's only given up uh, one run and he's looked great man he's done everything that he can to be a part of this staff
0: now yesterday didn't go great for him he ended up giving up a few runs in that one he's now at 12.2 innings pitched so far And he's given up four earned runs, including a homer. But I think what's most impressive to me, guys, is the strikeouts are suddenly there. He's been working on that slider. That was the homework assignment, so to speak, that the Cardinals gave him last year during the season. He took that with him into the offseason. And apparently the the break that he's getting on that slider is something that the Cardinals are very happy with. Tanner, you mentioned this in your T-Bone 3 at the very beginning of spring training. And I think that I'm starting to lean your direction I think if the season opened today, Jake Woodford, not Dakota Hudson, would be a part of that bullpen. The other guy that I would say has taken advantage of his opportunity is Zach Thompson, who, again, he's a guy that has some homework in the offseason. He is really relying upon his fastball and his curveball this spring. His curveball, I think, is the best in the organization. Like. I, it has more break than just about anybody. When we saw that against the Cubs for the first time, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's what people told us Matthew Liberator's curveball was supposed to look like. I think Thompson is going to be the lefty that ends up breaking camp with the Cardinals. So those two guys, out of all of the competition that they've had in that pin – I think they're the ones that have really come out ahead so far.
4: I agree with that. I, I think they're the front runners so far. And though, yeah, Woodford did have kind of a rough outing yesterday. It's really the first one this spring. I mean, he's holding, holding opponents to a, a 190 batting average so far through spring training. And the strikeouts there, as you said, his slider does look better. I've seen a little bit on television. I think he is going to be the guy that does take that Dakota Hudson role. Hudson has allowed 10 base runners and in five innings pitched so far. And I don't know how he did on the backfields yesterday, but he hasn't been as impressive. And Woodford took his homework assignment. And as shown that he was willing to work on this slider, understood what the Cardinals were telling him, and made the adjustment. And then for Zach Thompson, I, I thought he would win this left-handed competition, if I'm being completely honest with you. He's been by far the best one of the group. Cabrera's been erratic. Uh, you've seen Jojo Romero erratic. Packing Naughton's been erratic. Connor Thomas, who I had high hopes for, has been erratic. So Thompson's clearly run away with this left-handed job, and I agree with you. I think he probably does have the best curveball in the organization because it looks filthy so far, and he's had an uptick in velocity too. I think he's thrown about yep. one to two miles an hour Uh, faster than he was last year. So I think both those guys, I don't want to say they've won the job yet because a lot can still happen. There's still plenty of time in spring training, but I think they are definitely sitting in the driver's seat and definitely have a big edge as we're about, what would you say, halfway through
0: spring training at this point? Yeah, we're getting close to being at the end of the road with this thing, and I think that what you're going to see is Woodford and Thompson be a part of that bullpen. I I said this yesterday. I think it's kind of weird given what we saw from him last year. I don't think Andre Pellante is breaking camp with this team on opening day, guys. And it's not anything that he necessarily did or didn't do. I think that there's just other guys that they want to see first. I think you'll see Pallante. I think he's going to be a part of the big league roster, and I don't even know that it'll take that long to see him. But the guaranteed deals that they have already on the team, the roles that they have available... I think they're going to want Woodford in that spot as opposed to Andre Palante and Woodford's swing and miss stuff is a big part of why. So um, I think that that's going to be something that we keep, we have to keep in mind as well as this thing's going to churn. There will be bullpen churn. You'll see a lot of different guys coming out of that bullpen at some point this what,
4: year. What'll be interesting is I think they're going to start opening day with only one lefty. And I think they wanted more than that because I think the bullpen and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the bullpen right now is of course, your uh, guys that are always there. Helsley, Gallegos, you're going to have Hicks that'll be there. I think Rodriguez will be there because he's the rule five guy. You will have, um, uh, Hesley, Gallegos, Stratton.
0: Woodford, Hicks, Stratton, Verhagen, Thompson, Rodriguez is what yeah. I have right now.
4: Yeah. And I think that's what it would be. I think that's what it's going to be. And that's only one lefty. And I think the Cardinals wanted two lefties, maybe three coming into opening day. And again, they'll rotate. There's a big cast of left handers that'll be in the minor leagues. But I think they were open to be carrying more than that. And then nobody ran with the job. Every other lefty's been just kind of blonde spring training, or they've had a really bad spring training.
0: Coming up next, we're g- diving into more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely. Did you
4: struggle there? This is like a weird pause.
0: What
2: happened?
4: I oh, so. I heard like a weird pause. I thought he was like going to say we're diving into, and then he like paused, looked up at me. Like I, something was wrong. Well,
2: thanks for ruining the tease, Tanner.
4: More likely to happen next. <laughs>
2: We're right back to the BK and
1: Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen.
2: I my ears
0: because the sinuses have closed up so i don't even know how that sounded 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line you've never sounded sexier alex uh, that's my personal opinion on it
2: tune in tonight 7 30 blues pregame <laughs> can on 101
0: espn <laughs> right here on your home of the blues blues versus wild looking forward to it's that gonna that be one. Wild. wild alex child. let's get into a game of more wild likely thing. to happen you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Let's start with this. There is some news in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers just told the Pat McAfee show that he intends to play for the Jets in 2023. And that the reason why this is being held up is because the Packers are digging in their heels on compensation. So let's assume that this eventually gets done. I do think that it will at this point. I thought he announced that he wasn't announcing anything on this. But he did. It's Aaron Rodgers, okay. man. You just never know where this thing is going to go. His Good. first answer was seven minutes on the show. So he's found the cure for insomnia. No. More likely to happen, Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP this year or the Jets miss the playoffs entirely? Ooh. How bad is that division? The How Jets bad is it? Yeah, I'm trying to... Well, they've got the Bills and the Dolphins. Oh, I know you're division. going through some Mucinex
2: yeah. stuff going on. A lot on of Mucinex. It messes with your head. I was just clarifying which division they were in. Yeah, I'm going to say he wins the MVP. Really? Really? Nope, Mucinex kicked in there. Missed the playoffs. That was Mucinex talking there. Missed the playoffs.
4: Say, I am saying more likely they missed the playoffs because I don't think, even if this even if this was a weak, say this was the NFC, not the AFC, which is clearly weaker, I don't even think he can still play an MVP level. I still think he can play at you know, being a top 10 quarterback now back part of that list, but I don't think he played an MVP level anymore. So I would say more likely they missed the playoffs. Cause I could totally see that happen with how deep the AFC Can is. Can I play
2: devil's devil's advocate real quick? Please do be mad. If you didn't, you've got Nathaniel Hackett, who he's familiar with. I saw that in Denver. You've got Robert Sala, who is a really good head coach. Hmm. And then if you do get all of these receivers that he's talking about where you've got Garrett Wilson, I would imagine somebody's going to be traded off their roster. Maybe it's Elijah Moore, but you bring in OBJ, you bring in Randall Cobb, you bring in Alan Lazard. I could see a path of him winning MVP because he's going to put up good numbers,
0: but I'm still going to say they missed the playoffs. It's more likely Aaron Rodgers is not even viewed as a top seven quarterback in the NFL this season. Hot damn. I think that the Jets missed the playoffs. I think they win like eight games. He goes 8-9, and nine and people are looking back at this and saying, man, the Jets missed a real opportunity here by not going out and getting Lamar Jackson. I like think Lamar is more likely to win an MVP this year than Aaron Rodgers. I don't know where he's going to be doing it. I think it's going to be in Baltimore. I think a bunch of teams are going to be kicking themselves after the season, after they see that Lamar is an awesome football player. But this whole thing with Aaron Rodgers is baffling to me, dude. He put up basically the same numbers last year as like, Derek Carr And that's the dude that everybody's trying to get right now He's 39 years old He just said on the Pat McAfee show That when he went into the darkness He was 90% in favor of retirement 10% in favor of playing I think he's playing this year to spite the Packers I think what happened is He came out of the darkness Saw all the comments that the Packers had been making publicly Which made it very clear They are the one that is ready to move on It's one of those It's not you, it's us But really, it's you. The Packers don't want to deal with Aaron Rodgers' bull bleep anymore. That's what this is. They're done. They're sick of him. And they want to see what Jordan Love can do as their starting quarterback. And they told Rodgers, based on their public comments, we're done. Move on. You can either play for somebody else or you can retire. At this point, we don't care what you decide to do, but you can't come back here. And I think that Rodgers said, all right, because of that, I'm going to play another year. And the Jets said, play for us, play for us. And that's how this is all going down. I think
2: we've already seen the script of how the season's gonna go out. I mean, comes out of darkness, goes to New York, it's wants like to be the, the hero. Movie? This is Batman. We're about to see the Dark Knight take it's over like Gotham Bane. City. No, he's not Bane.
0: I think he's gonna be like. Molded?
2: Well, no, no he's the Dark Knight. Called?
0: Oh. Remember when Matt Harvey gained all the weight and looked like he ate old Matt Harvey? Yeah. Th- that's what I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be this year. He's going to be late career well, he, he in New York. He gain Matt all this weight.
2: He goes into darkness retreats. He doesn't eat for three days. Yeah, and then he throws up all over himself. He's meditating. When he's Somebody took a nonsense. screenshot of the Pat McAfee show and had Aaron Rodgers and they circled. He's got a little
0: stain on his hoodie and they said, you can't put a clean hoodie on for this. All right, guys, more likely to happen. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, more likely to be in the Cardinals playoff lineup. Mason Win or Alec Burleson? I'll say Mason
2: Wynn. I, I don't really see a scenario unless Alec Burleson just tears it up when he gets his opportunity. There's just too many guys in front of him before you get to his name. I can absolutely see a scenario where somebody is injured in the playoffs and you need to shift people around, which opens up the shortstop spot, and that's where Mason Wynn gets his opportunity. If he tears it up in AAA, he'll get recalled.
4: Oh, this is a good one. I I think I'm going to lead towards Alec Burleson. I could see a left-handed bat where if he gets hot, he is either starting at DH or hopefully it doesn't happen, but Tyler O'Neill or Lars Newpart either doesn't work out or is hurt, and he has to start at a corner outfield spot. I, As much as I've loved what I've seen from Wynn, I don't think he's up here unless Tommy Edmonds hurt. And Tommy Edmonds has shown to be a very uh, durable player. And I don't know if you're going to go into the playoffs because I, the reason I can't see Win is because if Edmonds healthy, he's probably at short, but if you were to move him to second, there's also other options at second that like Donovan and Gorman, I don't think both those guys flop to where you have to move Edmonds to second and start Win. So I think I'm going to go more likely Alec Burleson.
0: I think I'm with T uh, T-bone on this one. I think it's more likely that Alec Burleson ends up starting for them in the postseason. I will say this. I think it's very likely that Mason Wynn is on their playoff roster, even if he is not a starter. The reason why I bring that up is because if the running game does legitimately become a part of what Major League Baseball is going to be this year, Mason Wynn is one hell of a runner, and he could be a late-game defensive replacement. Like, I could see a scenario where he comes in as a late-game running option for you, a pinch runner, and then he plays at shortstop with Tommy Edmund kicking over to second base, and you've just got your your hands team out there, basically. He essentially replaces Paul DeYoung, but at that point, you're not worried about the development curve because this season is over by play. So I do think that he's a guy that could help them on the playoff roster. I do not, though. It's kind of like uh, Juan Yepes a couple of years ago, where he was on the playoff roster, even though it was just as a pinch hitter and then. Shield didn't use pinch hitters, so he didn't end up playing in that game. He
4: okay, looked the pitcher, Batman.
0: But I do think that he's a guy that, that could help them in the postseason. So I think he's on the roster. This is a BK answer if there ever was one. But he doesn't end up starting. Alec Burleson is more likely to be the starter. Guys, more likely to miss the playoffs next year after winning their division a year ago. The Philadelphia Eagles or the Minnesota Vikings?
2: Vikings. Vikings are doing all sorts of changes to their team right now. The Vikings might be bad next year. I think year. they might be. I mean, you. I know Adam Thielen wasn't good. And you've got KJ Osborne, who you can use now. But, I mean, your offense, and they're, now they're talking about potentially moving on from Dalvin Cook, your offensive line change, your defense. I don't really think they've made any improvements on that defense yet. And it was bad last year. So I'm going to say the Vikings.
4: I think I'd go Vikings, too, because they haven't made the improvements to the defense. And they've got teams in their division that are starting to catch them. I, I think Detroit could surpass them this year. And I think Chicago, though, I think they're probably a year away. They're starting to catch up to them. I and I haven't been impressed with Philly's offseason, but I still think they're a team that could still either maybe not win the division, but definitely can get in the playoffs. Minnesota. I mean, it's Kirk Cousins at quarterback. I don't trust him. And then your offensive weapon is Justin Jefferson. Like, I I don't see Minnesota being that great. Hawkinson was good for him when they traded for him, but I could see where they missed the playoffs. How long till
2: Justin Jefferson demands to
0: be traded? He's coming up for his contract here pretty soon, right? I think he is. I think he's in the final year of his rookie deal. It sounds right. He might have one more year. Let me look that up. They'll pay him, though, would be my guess. I would think that they would, but, man, players have never had more power than they do right now. Yeah, he's got one more year after 2023. He'll play on the fifth-year option. I mean, if they end up being terrible this year, and you're Justin Jefferson, do you consider... Like if you don't want to be there any longer saying, Hey, I'm gonna be here. They're not trending Trade the, me
2: or not. They're not trending in the direction of being better. They're trending in the direction of being worse. And if I'm Justin Jefferson, I don't know if I want to be on and, a team that's gonna be bad.
4: And honestly, not even just from the Jefferson perspective, but to take it from the front office perspective for Minnesota, if you clearly don't have an answer behind no. Kirk Cousins at quarterback, which they don't right now then I think you have to look at it and go, all right, we can get a lot of assets here by trading Jeff- Justin Jefferson. Although he is a great player and we'd love to re-sign him, we're not at that point in our life cycle to have him on our roster.
0: I think you do it one more year at a minimum. I do not yeah, think I this agree. is a I this off-season thing. This is a next year he potentially becomes somebody that's in play. I like If we were doing a more likely to happen, Justin Jefferson re-signs for a new market-setting contract or he is traded next year, I would probably take the re-signs in Minnesota. But... It's not a 0% chance. I wouldn't have expected A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, and there was one other last year to get traded last year, and it sounds like um, DeAndre Hopkins is likely to be traded this year. Jerry Judy might be traded this offseason as well. We just saw a report on that. So uh, it's definitely not a 0% chance. I do think it's more likely that the Minnesota Vikings end up missing the playoffs. That being said, the Eagles' defense is going to be without Darius Slay, Javon Hargrave, T.J. Edwards, and Marcus Epps. They still have... C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Fletcher Cox, and Linval Joseph all remaining as free agents right now as well. That would be seven of their 11 defensive starters from a year ago that might not return in 2023. I think the Eagles will be very good. I think their offense will be excellent. That defense is something that needs to be rebuilt a bit, though, so it is going to be a little harder for them next year than it was this past season. they They got my wrecking ball Jordan Davis out there. He's going to replace Linval Joseph, so they've got an internal replacement there. He's coming. Coming up next, Marco Scandella. Been better than I think a lot of people expected since he returned to the lineup. Is he somebody that has earned an opportunity to play with Colton Pareko? We'll discuss that coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So, what does Marco Scandella earned? And is it an opportunity to play with Colton Pareko, Alex? In his last nine games since coming back from injury, he's averaging about 18 minutes per night. And in his last five specifically, he's a plus three. Now, if you want to get into what the opponents are, you could do that. Maybe you want to say that that's fun with numbers on my side. Maybe it is. Sounds like I you did think, it already, buddy. I do think that Marco Scandella has been playing better than anticipated. Here's the best part about Marco Scandella. Haven't really noticed him. To be totally honest with you, have not really noticed him when he's been on the ice. For a defenseman, a lot of the time, especially the way that Marco Scandella plays, that's a good thing. That means we're not seeing repeated replays of him getting beat or him not being where he needs to be in front of his own net. Uh, those are good signs for Marco Scandella. Craig Berube was talking the other day at Blues um, at Blues practice. He basically said, "Like, hey, listen, the the hip injury was a real thing for him. It it, it limited him mobility wise, and now he feels fully healthy. Now maybe this is something that later on we can get into with Drew VerHagen. Maybe that ends up being something that helps Drew VerHagen for the Cardinals as well. I'll set that off to the side for a moment.
2: How did we just tie in
0: Blues and? Cardinals hip injuries man Marco Scandella has looked good do you think it is good enough though that he has earned himself an opportunity to play with Colton Pareco as the top pairing defensively
2: I do and it's not even because Marco Scandella has played better or pareco has been playing better it's just because nobody has taken the reins on that left side with Pareco. I, I mean we've seen Nick Letty I, I gotta double check this one because the limits on money puck are specific but so Pareco and Letty have played the most minutes together of any defensive pair according to Money Puck. It's been bad. Expected goals against per 60 minutes is 2.72. If you go down the list and isolate it to just 10 minutes of everybody that Pareko has played with, I mean, Pareko and Letty, 2.72. Pareko and Minkola, 2.46. I can keep going through this. Krug and Pareko, 2.78. Nobody has stuck with Colton Pareko. And even if you look at this season with Pareko and Scandella, it says that they've played 18 minutes together, which just must be um, in between line shifts also hasn't been great. But if Scandella is back to this and Scandella has been dealing, and I know people hate this because it's like, oh, you're just making excuses. Jay Bomeister went through this with the hip injuries and he came back, didn't look great. And then you get the play that he had in the final stretch of 2019 where they went onto the cup. He was phenomenal. But back in 2019, 2020 season, Pareco and Scandella were arguably the best defensive pairing that played together. I think they wrapped up that season uh, with 152 minutes together, 1.74 expected goals against per 60 minutes. Which is good. Yeah, it's very good. I'm not saying that it's going to be the solution to all of this and now you've got your top pairing. But what I'm saying is what does it hurt? Because Pareko and Letty have not worked all this season. Pareco and Krug have not worked. We've even seen Pareko and Tyler Tucker play together, and it was a very short sample size. You don't have Scott Perunovich expected to be back this season. They're probably going to keep him in the minors. If I'm Craig Barubi, let's see what Pareko and Scandella do. Can they find that magic that they had when we acquired Scandella and gave him that contract extension because they played like a shutdown
0: defensive pairing? So speaking of that, remember last year how we talked about the Blues – Basically using platoons yeah. with their defensive pairings, where the Pareco pairing would be almost exclusively starting in their own zone. And then the Falk and Krug pairing would be almost exclusively starting in the offensive zone. That's where we saw them at their best. You know what's happened since Marco Scandela has returned when he's been playing with Justin Falk? And that's basically the way that they've been utilizing him so far. They've been platooning him in the defensive zone. Exclusively. Marco Scandela and Justin Falk... Have been starting in the offensive zone less than 15% of the time. That is like almost less than, it is less than what you saw last year for Pareco. Now, I think there's two reasons why we should see a switch here. One, I don't think that's the best way to utilize Justin Falk. I think Justin Falk is at his best when he's moving the puck, he's getting up the ice, he's in the offensive zone. And so this is why I would go back to either Nick Letty or Tory Krug with Justin Falk. Get them on the rush. Get them going on the offensive zone. Get them a part of the offense. Marco Scandella, the best use of him is this way. This is honestly the only use of him. It's why he's been utilized this way with Justin Falk. So why last year, he was utilized that way with Colton Pareko. I think Pareco has shown enough defensively, at least recently, I would like to see what that looks like again. Here's what you, I would like to see Scandella and Falk, or excuse me, Scandella and Barreco yep. in the shutdown role, Falk back to the offensive role.
2: And here's what you can't have happen next season you can't have Tory Krug being on your third pair. That's $6.5 million that you're specifically using on the power play. Krug's got to be back to a pairing mate. And last season, Krug and Falk were one of the better defensive units for the Blues. So if you're going to go that route, Scandella with Pareko and Krug and Falk. Let's see what that can do. Or maybe you go Letty and Falk to where you can use those guys in the offensive zone. Because frankly, Colton Pareko has been doing everything this season. And that might be part of the reason why it's been struggling. Because you're relying on him to be the shutdown guy and to create some offense. Because everyone else has been struggling. Let's go back to isolating roles here. If we can go back to Pareko and Scandella playing against the other team's top lines and being that shutdown pair where you've got the length, you've got the stick reach, and you've got the ability to close out plays fast enough, and if is playing with this newfound confidence, well, now you can start using Krug and Falk in the offensive zone more and not rely on them
0: 18, 19, 20 minutes a night to be playing in the defensive zone. The other thing is, like, while the numbers overall have looked pretty good in terms of, like, the... The score differ or the the goal differential, all of that sort of stuff. The underlying numbers have not been good so far for Falk with uh, Scandella. Scandella. Yeah. Like the expected goals for percentage is thirty six percent for the Blues when just, they're on the ice together. That's just because they're putting Falk in a role he shouldn't be. One hundred percent. And that's what I'm getting at here is like when they've had this pairing with Colton Pareco, the numbers haven't been great. Don't get me wrong, but it's a it's a byproduct of where you're starting them at, right? Well, when you've had it with Pareko, it's been better than this. You've expected more out of the Blues, and they've been they've been better at preventing high danger chances. They've been better at getting into the offensive zone from their own zone. They've been clearing the puck better. They've killed plays better. I'd like to see it. Maybe Scandella is not there conditioning wise. Maybe that's one of the questions here. Is just can he can he handle that yeah, kind of get time on ice? But he's played ten games now, and he's averaging almost twenty minutes a night. At some point, you you can get there. And maybe this means that you don't have him playing on the uh, penalty kill one night. So be it. Maybe you can find other guys that can fill into that role. So I'd, I would like to see Scandela in that role, see how he ends up performing there. The other big news from the Blues, Alex... Jake Neighbors sounds like he's getting back on track. He's closer than we we expected. Uh, he was back on the ice. The last thing that he needs is to be 100% cleared for contact. It could be another week or so, maybe two weeks. He, he's expecting to be ready for like the last nine to 10 games of the season. What does Jake neighbors, the way that he plays, down the stretch, how does that factor into the Blues offseason plans in your mind? You figure out if he's
2: ready to be a top six, top nine forward. I think next year, on paper, he's going to go into your top nine. Uh, Doug Armstrong even said that. But can, can you be a top six? I, I don't know if they were happy with Torepchenko, although we like the way that he's played the last couple of games. The last game, they shifted him back to the fourth line and put Bucinavich back up there. If you really want Bucinavich to be a centerman for you next season, Jake Nabors, here's your shot. Let's see what you could do with Thomas and Kairou. It might not look pretty, but there's two different ways to look at that. One, it's the growing part of this to learn what you need to do on the defensive side of things. But two, also Doug Armstrong said, you know, we don't want to throw these guys into the ocean with a lead life jacket. You don't want to ruin him moving forward. So figure out if Jake Neighbors is ready to be a top six forward. If not, then you give him more of a third-line role and let him continue to grow his game. But he brings what they want from Alexei Toropchenko in terms of you go straight to the net and you park yourself there. That's what he's going to provide your top nine forward, which frankly does not have more than one person who's willing to do that
0: on this roster. Yeah. I think that's probably where you put him for now. He brings that physicality. And it's what I talked about whenever they first put Alexei Torpchenko on that top line is I don't know that he, this is his future. In fact, I would bet against it. I would bet strongly that Alexei Torpchenko eventually becomes a third or fourth line player in a best case scenario, probably fourth line. I think what they might be trying to figure out is, can this be a prototype for the type of player that we want up there with Thomas and Kairou. So when Neighbors gets back, can he be that guy? Yeah. Can he be that net front presence that you're looking for? M- my guess, again, is probably the answer is no, but I'd like to find out. And I think that's probably where I would put him on that line as well. Is I- I'd go... Neighbors, Thomas, Kairou, and then you've got the same Buchnevich at center with the two new guys, Kapanin and Varana, as your second line. You've got Shin, Blay and Sawd as your third line. And then you're just going with Toropchenko and Alexandrov slash Brown slash Walker slash Pitlick, however you want to configure that final line. And let's see what that looks like for the final five to ten games of the season and that'll influence your decisions going into the offseason. I, I think that's probably the way that it's eventually going to look for them. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're talking to Brendan Burke. He's going to be on the call tonight for Blues versus the Wild. want to get his thoughts on the way that the Wilds were able to so quickly flip their team from what they were to what they are right now. It took a year for them to rebuild, retool, however you want to call it. Can the Blues follow that path? We'll talk to Brendan Burke about that coming up in about 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. <laughs>
1: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario
3: brought to you by fenton bar and grill best
5: Trust wings in missouri dine in carry out seven days a week
0: junk here on 101 ESP, and That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey. Alex, have you thought about the proper time to die? Like the age, the age where you say to yourself, you know what? At that point, I think I'm probably pretty good. You know what? This might surprise you. I
2: absolutely have
0: <laughs> I had a feeling that would be the case. I
2: absolutely have. I've even had the conversation with my wife. I said, when I get to the point where you lose all control, just take care of it. Oh yeah, I'm definitely a DNR. Don't recess. Yeah, l- i no, good. it's even like beyond that. Like when my back starts to hurt, Send it. Well, that's like now 35. <laughs> it's just saying, like seven, I think 75 is, is a great number. See, like, I don't
0: think that we're gonna last that long in this job. Well, T-Ball well, <laughs> won't make it to 75. I don't know that I have another 40 years of doing this, not because I won't want to, of course I will, but well, you, like, you can retire. I'll get fired at some point. Oh, well, that's you know, true. Like, or our format won't exist. Um, something, something yeah. like that will take place before I'm 75. Totally. It's like. You know, We're I've just, got a kid that's on the way, so I, I don't want to die too early, but, you know, like, 70 feels good. 70 feels like feels a good time early. to go. Yeah, that's the best part, because, like, my
2: my kids, when they're 21, I'll be... 51? Tough math there, huh? Yeah, well, I don't know how old my, my kids are right now. Like, do you... The seven months, do you add more onto it? Do you not? Um, but, yeah, I mean, 51, it gives me a good... It gives me a great
0: 19 years to enjoy life, and then... Let's go. The reason why I'm asking, of course... Is because there is an asteroid that could collide with Earth on Valentine's Day in 2046. Oh, what a I was thinking to myself. I'll
4: be 46.
0: Does that sound so bad? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying that I want it to. hit. Wait, a... is this
4: an Earth shit, like, destroyer? Like, it's asteroid? taking out
0: everybody. It has a 1 in 607 chance of impacting Earth.
4: That, that somebody called like Bruce a, Willis good thing we practice that thing where we launch a lock rocket a rocket and hit the asteroid in the air
0: we all know that you can totally trust these things but it says that the current calculations show that the chance of the collision is quote e- extremely unlikely with no cause for public attention or public concern all right sure they said the same thing in that don't look up movie yeah. That worked out so really well like the, for them. It's like the spoiler po-
2: alert. This is like the polar opposite of the Mayan calendar. 2012 was supposed to be the end of it all, and they told us for like ten years, and nothing happened. So I would imagine if they're saying, "Look yeah, away," I don't
4: look over here. 46 is too young for me. I want to keep going.
2: Only the good die young. So I would only said. be
4: 45, and <laughs> if you could hit a button,
2: it. just <laughs> end it. That seems <laughs> weird. That <laughs> seems weird. What was that movie where he came over to their house and he said, "You press this button, you'll instantly get." I think it was a million dollars, so it must have been a movie in the 2000s. But if you hit the button, somebody in the world that you don't know dies. It's kind of the same thing, right? I'm
0: Only not you're sure. not getting the million dollars. I'm in this basically circumstance. ending the world here. I'm, I'm like Thanos, <laughs> snapping my fingers. Wait, you want you want the asteroid to hit? I'm saying it might not be the worst thing. I mean, it, like it, it wouldn't I mean, be great. I know. I'd like have, you. I wouldn't have to worry about debt anymore. That'd I don't know nice. what the world's going to look like in about what is that? Twenty four years. Be great.
2: You know what, though? Now that I'm thinking more about it, if I can get, like, my debt paid off by then, like, my student loans. Well, at this
0: point, just let it be. Well, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> but if I can get it paid off, I might even I be able to enjoy other it. I the question. If you knew, you knew now, yeah. the world's ending in 2047, how much does that change the way that you spend the next 24 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, I got to be
2: smart because the kids still need to eat for the next 20-something sure. years, but, like, by 2041, I'm going
0: buck wild. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm trying every drug that's available out there heroin oh no i meant cocaine. like i meant like vacation it's all getting injected Damn, i meant like vacations <laughs> this guy's over here talking to drugs hey whatever you gotta do to make yourself like let's experiment a little bit you it's all gonna be a lot be of fun Thanos. Brendan burke joins us next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented
1: by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylades, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And we're happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the play-by-play broadcaster for NHL on TNT. He'll be on the call tonight for Blues versus Wild. He's Brendan Burke joining us here on the show. Brendan, we appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today?
3: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's start with this. Just when you're coming into a game like this for a team such as the Blues that is really playing out the string the rest of this season and hoping to find out what the team looks like for next year. What do you have your eye on in a game like this?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, from a blues perspective, I think that there's, you know, every team has their own story. And every season has their own story. And I think right now it, it's mostly big picture stuff for the blues. Like where do they go from here? You've got a team that's made the playoffs four years in a row. They've got a Stanley cup, not that far off in their, their recent past. And, how do they get back there? Um, and you start to see what Doug Armstrong's plan is going to be. And these guys are playing for, uh, you know, whether or not they're part of the future here in St. Louis. So, you know, everybody's got their own individual story. Every team has their own individual story. So, uh, you know, we focus on that for St. Louis and, and for Minnesota, obviously it's, it's their playoff push, and they're very much in the middle of it.
2: Brennan, what what sticks out to you about the Blues this season? though? I, I mean, it seems to be a ton of... Uh, areas of concern, whether it's, you know, the offense being inconsistent defensively being a massive struggle and the contracts are in front of you. But I know you've been on a couple of blues calls throughout the season and you of course see them being the voice of the New York Islanders as well. What stuck out to you about this team this year?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's probably just, you know, the drop off or at least the, the, the off years for a couple of guys, a guy like, you know, a Colton Pareko where, you know, he's been so reliable defensively over the past few years that, that everybody knows you know what? A, what a, a presence he is out there, and to see his numbers and to see his play. Sometimes, um, you know, those things kind of stick out individually. And uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. It, it's hard to put your finger on. I think if everybody saw this coming, it would be easy, right? I think everybody at the beginning of the season saw this is, if not a playoff team, a team that would be in it until the end, in a very you know close playoff team. And maybe they would have been re-signing some of the guys that they wound up trading, and instead they find themselves in a different spot where they've got to move forward and. You know, I think for Doug Armstrong to be able to um, identify that this team didn't have it in him this year and to move the contracts like Ryan O'Reilly and get something back for that and get something back for Tarasenko and, and move guys like Barbashev and Achari, like those contracts where a lot of GMs might have held on to them or tried to go on one more run. Uh, he made the smart move and, and cut bait with them and, and brought back some, uh, you know, some assets for them and, and hopefully can turn those around here To make this not a long process, right? There are teams, you look around at the Buffaloes of the world where they've been going through a rebuild forever. Um, you know, I don't think that Doug Armstrong has that in his in his mind about where this team's going from here.
0: Brendan Burke is our guest here on One and One ESPN. Will be on the call tonight for Blues versus Wild NHL on TNT. Brendan, that's what I wanted to follow up with you on is h- how quickly do you think the Blues can rebuild this thing? You have maybe a little bit more of a national perspective on this than we do here locally, where we're so close to it and it looks bad on certain nights. H- how How quickly do you think? Doug Armstrong can actually turn this thing around.
3: Yeah, it it depends on, on on where he does, where he sees, and how quickly he wants to do it. I mean, I think that the, the question is, right, when he goes out and trades, you know, guys like Ryan O'Reilly, and he, and he brings back these high first round picks, right? I think he's got three first round picks that he's gotten back in these trades. Uh, the question is, are you drafting players in the first round, or are you packaging those picks to get NHL players that are currently available? Um, and and I think uh, that'll be seen during this off season about if he drafts guys, if he goes out and, and takes somebody in the first round at 18th overall or whatever it's going to wind up being, then it's going to be a longer process. But if he goes, all right, I've got a first round pick, can I move this for a current NHL player that can make my team better next year? Then he's got his foot on the accelerator. And I think that's probably where he goes. I don't think he's going to use all these first round picks to draft 18 year old kids. I think he's going to turn these first round picks, flip them around and try and build something that can be uh, you know, impactful soon. Now, how quickly that could happen, could it be next year or the year after? It could be. Could you be looking at the world's fastest turnaround like the New York Rangers who went from telling their season ticket holders that they're going to be rebuilding to going to a conference final in three years? That doesn't happen very often. You need a little bit of luck involved there, um, but it could happen. So I, I think that if everything goes according to the Blues plan and Doug Armstrong's plan, I think you're probably looking at that that three or four year turnaround as opposed to a six to eight year turnaround where you starting
2: from scratch. So, so Brennan, when Doug talked about that a couple of weeks ago you might have heard the comment where he said he'd like to be the LA Kings only quicker and the Kings of course have done it a couple of years but the one team that I do find intriguing because it, it does seem like they're in kind of a similar situation is a team that you watch every game and it's the New York Islanders. Now not so much of where they had to retool or rebuild because they had five or six years back in the early 2000s that weren't great but even if you look at them right now, they missed the playoffs last year, you're fighting for a playoff spot right now You've had turnover with your captain of John Tavares. Do you see any similarities between what the Islanders have gone through these last couple of years and the Blues?
3: Uh, yeah, if you discount the fact the Blues got that Stanley Cup, I mean, touche, right? <laughs> touche. Uh, that, that's the big thing. I think you're you're talking. You know, where do we go from here as the Blues and every other team? I shouldn't say every other team, but so many teams in this league would absolutely trade places with the Blues because in, in four years ago they got that Stanley Cup. Right, that's the big. Different. Everybody else has been rebuilding, trying to get that one magical year that you've had here in St. Louis. So don't take that for granted. But yeah, I mean you you the the salary cap world is is an amazingly complex world, right? You have contracts that you don't want to move, that you have to move. There are players that you think you have that are going to sign that don't sign, and all of a sudden uh, you don't have anybody to fill that hole, or you've got you know what the Rangers are going through, where they can't even dress eighteen guys uh, to play in a hockey game because of the salary cap. So uh, it, it's an amazingly complex world to navigate through, and at the same time, uh, can create such parity and such uh, you know such quick turnarounds for teams where you don't think it's going to happen, and all of a sudden, the teams like listen, I can't afford to keep this guy. This guy, under normal circumstances, would never be available. But you know what? For that first-round pick, you can have him. You can fit him under your cap. So there are things like that that happen all the time. Uh, or one guy changes everything. And I, I hate to keep going back to the Rangers, but you talk about how quickly they rebuilt. Signing Arteni Panarin accelerated everything on the Rangers' timeline. Uh, you know, a lot of people point to their timeline and go, well, they, they hit the lottery, and they got the first overall pick and the second overall pick, and back to back years. Lafreniere and Caco are not the reason this team is as good as it is for the New York Rangers. So uh, you sign one key free agent and, and things can turn. So, um, you know, the Islanders are kind of in, in that boat. They, they made it to back-to-back conference finals. Uh, and then they, they had a really rough season last year because they went through COVID problems. They opened a building, so they had to start on a 13-game road trip. So kind of got derailed a little bit. Um, but it's a team that's been able to kind of stay in the hunt here uh, after everything uh, had seemed to go south with, with losing their captain and a few other free agents. So, Um, You know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, even when you seemingly have lost uh, big parts of your organization.
2: And that seems to be the conversation on the defensive side of it. Not so much of, you know, going out there and signing that big free agent, Brennan, but, you know, looking for that number one defenseman that they lost in Alex Petrangelo and figuring out what they're going to be able to accomplish with all of these contracts and the guys that they have under uh, contract for the next few seasons.
3: Yeah, and, and you got to hope that some of these, these guys turn out to be what you expect them to, right? Like a Scott Prunovic, for instance. Uh, you know, as a guy that's seen a cup of coffee, he's dealt with injuries this year. Uh, can he be a guy that can be a top-four defenseman? I mean, not a number-one defenseman, but can he be in the top-four conversation? Uh, can you develop one? I mean, the the I say that these marquee players can be available. Boy, number-one defensemen are hard to come by. <laughs> they are so hard to come by in the NHL. Uh, so you better start getting your scouts uh, – working overtime to try and find somebody that they can identify early on that can can turn into a number one defenseman because uh, if, if you found one, you're not giving them up that easily, that's for sure.
0: We're talking to Brendan Burke for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESP and you'll see him on the call tonight for NHL on TNT Blues versus the Wild. Uh Brendan, you are typically watching the Eastern Conference and I did want to ask you about that side of the league as well because man, it is it's crazy what is taking place over there right now. The Bruins are on a historically great pace and it felt like at the trade deadline Every other moment that you looked at Twitter, you'd be refreshing and it would be another Eastern Conference team that's loading up for this playoff push. What's your impression of what we're going to witness down the stretch with the Eastern Conference? And do you have a gauge on other than the Bruins who you think is best set up for a push in the East?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I think that you're right. The trade deadline, it was—it started with, you know, Paul Horvat, and then Tarasenko came over, and then Timo Meyer came over, and everybody is, you know, not only the East, but the Metropolitan Division specifically, and then Boston goes out and gets Orlov and Hathaway from the Metro into the Atlantic. It's wild. It's wild to think that so many of these teams that spend so much of these assets to get better for the trade deadline will be going home in the first or second round. Um, because everybody is kind of geared up thinking they can make a run at it, which, which should make for awesome hockey games down the stretch and into the playoffs. Um, as for anybody that can that can win this I, in the East, I, you know what? The special injury in Carolina changes it a little bit for me. I thought Carolina had a really good shot. I think not a lot of people were talking about how good Carolina is. Just an efficient hockey team that goes out there and gives you the same thing every night, works hard, um, high-energy team you know, they're, they're as good as, as anybody in the East. Um, I wonder about a team like the New Jersey Devils, if they, if they have it since they're so young and so inexperienced, but they are a highly skilled hockey team that can make some noise. But at the end of the day, it looks like, and this could change, but it looks like we're going to get Devils Rangers in the first round mm. and Lightning Maple Leafs in the first round. I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, I, I think that Anybody that's complaining, oh, we should go one through eight and the the playoff system's broken. No, this is awesome. I'm all for it. I'm all for the way it shakes out. A good team's going home in the first round. If you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you're going to have to beat the good teams anyway. Uh, I, I think we're gearing up for an awesome first round in the Eastern Conference for sure.
2: Yeah, I can't wait for it. Brendan, final one from me and just locally to go back to one player that we talk a lot about this season, and I am curious from the national perspective what the view on him is. Jordan Cairo, uh, you know, we've talked about the growing pains of a 24 year old who's still learning the ropes of an everyday NHL player, but he also just surpassed 30 goals in these 24 years old. What's the national view of a Jordan Cairo?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that everybody understands that the, the future, at least the short term future of the blues is, is Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. And you can even throw Bushnavich in there a little bit, but he's a 30 goal scorer. That is not easy to do. Um, But at the same time, you're looking and going, okay, he's got 30 goals, and he's a minus 35. And, and yes, plus minus is a flawed stat. But at the same time, if you're scoring that many goals and you're on the ice for 35 more goals allowed than you are for, there's a problem there. So I think that the the viewpoint on a Jordan Cairo is, boy, this guy has a whole lot of talent, but he still has a long way to go to become that complete NHL player. And he's young enough that that's that's not necessarily – a knock on him—it's just where he is in his development. He's not there yet, uh, but he certainly has the 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 skill, the talent, the ability to become that player uh, if if the blue staff can kind of get him in the right situations and point in the right directions to learn that full. 200-foot game that everybody is, is trying to learn at the NHL level. But certainly, uh, I think a lot of teams would love a guy with that kind of talent that they can try and fix the rest of the stuff for Jordan
0: Cairo. For what it's worth, the Blues have allowed 20 empty net goals so far this season, Brendan, and I'm pretty yeah. sure Jordan Cairo has been on the <laughs> ice for all of them because he's a part of that unit. So that that is playing a heavy role in those that plus-minus. But even if you took that all out, he's still a minus-15 on the season, which is not ideal to say the least.
3: No, no, you're right. That's why I say plus minus a flawed. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, it's one of those things like a, it, it's it's a bikini. It shows you something, but it doesn't show you everything. Right. So it, it, it's not big telling you the whole story, but it's giving you a whole lot of information that you can't ignore either. Spot Speaking on. of
0: bikinis, I will be at Hooters tonight for a bikini contest at eight o'clock. That's a weird transition. Brendan, appreciate the time <laughs> as always, man. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the game tonight. We'll be watching over on TNT and hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon.
3: Hey, I got Panger with me. It's always a good day when I got Darren Pang next to me. <laughs> you got to love awesome. it. That'll Thanks, be Brandon. awesome.
0: We're looking forward to it. That's Brendan Burke joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. You just confirmed while I hate bikinis and while I hate plus minuses. You hate bikinis? Yeah. Only show a little thing. That's okay. what he said. It's like uh, plus minuses. They only show a little bit. Getting back to the NHL postseason, I asked him about the Eastern Conference Alex, we've talked about this a few different times of like what this offseason is going to be and how the playoffs are going to play into that dude. the Eastern Conference. It's the Lightning versus the Maple Leafs, the Rangers versus the Devils. And then you've got the uh, the Penguins versus the Hurricanes as well. Uh, The Penguins versus the Hurricanes like three weeks ago, I would have told you, hot damn, that's going to be fun. I I don't know what's going to happen there now because the Carolina Hurricanes are dealing with some injuries. I don't know what the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to look like at that point. But I do know that the Devils versus the Rangers, somebody's going to come out of that furious that they did not advance past the first round. And I hope it's the Rangers. Lightning versus the Maple Leafs. If the Maple Leafs end up losing, we've talked about this a number of times. There's somebody getting fired. There might be multiple somebodies that are getting fired if they aren't able to make it out of the first round this year. It,
2: it, the intriguing part, if you're a Blues fan, to kind of what Brennan said about Doug's plan in the offseason with those draft picks and do you acquire an NHL player There is a ton of rooting interest in terms of teams losing in the first round of the playoffs. Vegas is going to be in cap hell after this season. What do they do? Do they have to trade somebody away? Edmonton is going to be in that spot. Tampa's going to be in that spot. Toronto's in that spot. Boston, New Jersey, Pittsburgh. Pretty much every team in the East is going to be in cap hell after this season if they don't win the Stanley Cup. And if you get bounced in the first round, that's an underperforming season in those p- teams' eyes, and they've got to ship people out to try and make the money work that's where the blues can capitalize on certain players.
0: He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, you can join me on Wednesday tonight from five to seven o'clock at Hooters in Fairview Heights. The location is 301 Marketplace again. That's in Fairview Heights, Illinois we will kick off St. Patrick's Day and the college basketball tournament. We started with the first four last night. You got two more games tonight. There will also be a bikini contest that starts at eight o'clock. So you got the first four you got blues versus the Minnesota wild. You got a bikini Contest. What more could you ask for? Oh, how about this? Two new basketball bundles of Hooters' world famous wings, buffalo shrimp, and fries, all served up with an ice cold beer. I'll be there tonight from 5 to 7 o'clock at Hooters in Fairview Heights, 301 Marketplace. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Can You Beat the Blues? You'll be going up against Braden Shin today. On the line is a pair of tickets to March 28th's game between the Blues and the Canucks and a Nick Letty signed hockey puck. If you are textured number 100 101 102 and 103 at 314-399-9646 and you say i can beat the blues we'll pick four contestants for a 130 can you beat the blues segment but coming up next nfl quick hitters here on 101 espn
1: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn let's dive into some nfl quick hitters guys a local tie to the nfl is the one and only ezekiel Elliott. according to clarence hill jr of the star telegram down in dallas ezekiel Elliott's era in dallas is likely coming to an end he adds that he believes that there is going to be a end of this tenure uh, they are expected to part ways with a two-time rushing champ guys do you think Ezekiel Elliott still has anything left in the tank and if so where would you like to see him land man unfortunately I don't think he's got
2: much more in the tank I, I think you've seen the downfall these last couple of seasons of Ezekiel Elliott Maybe as a backup running back, kind of the role he was in last year with Dallas as Tony was the main guy and Ezekiel would get in every once in a while. I mean, a red zone running back, he absolutely can still be that for you, but it's a limited role. Tanner brought up the Rams if they can find a way to make salary space. Ugh. That makes a hell of a lot of sense, unfortunately. Um, does Buffalo. C- Buffalo. Oh yeah, Buffalo. Does Seattle look at that now? Kenneth Walker is the number one. Pete Carroll loves the run game. You could bring Ezekiel Elliott in.
0: But, yeah, Buffalo would make a hell of a lot of sense. I think Buffalo's the team to me. Maybe Cincinnati is another one if they end up releasing Joe Mixon. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, didn't their other backup running back just sign with Denver? P. Ryan? Uh, I think Samaj P. Ryan just signed with Denver uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Maybe they could make some sense as well. I think he's still got some value. I think it's in the role that you're talking about, though, Alex. I think it's a, a first two-down grinder where you got short yardage situations or you're just in a situation in the game where you're up by a decent amount and you want to run the ball to be able to finish out the game. I think he makes sense in that scenario. So I, I think it's for a team that is a quality contender right now where he's going to be the clear-cut number two back. I don't know everybody wants, doesn't want to hear me say it, but uh, honestly, Kansas City would not be a bad landing spot for Ezekiel Elliott. Just don't use him as a centerman on a Hail Mary play at the end of a game. That's a good point. Oh. He can't block. T-Bone, do That's you have a, a spot where you think he would make some sense? I, Detroit I, is another one that would ma- No, they just signed... Uh, yeah. What's his face? From Chicago. Hmm.
4: Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on who we're talking Montgomery? about. Montgomery? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Montgomery. Uh, I, I think, it, I don't think they're going to be competitive yet, but two teams that I kind of have an eye on would be Atlanta and Carolina, two teams that like to run the football. We'll see about Carolina. They're going to want somebody back there with their rookie quarterback that they're going to be drafted. Those are the two teams. I, I do think the Rams would have some interest. The problem is, is they're in cap hell to where I don't even think they can figure it out. But I do think he has something left, and it's in the role that we were just talking about. I, You can't have him as the number one guy anymore. But I I do think he can still play. I would like to see him probably on a team that, as you said, a competitor or contender, excuse me. And I I do think someone like Carolina Atlanta makes some sense for him too. I don't know if they'll be contending, but that NFC South is so weak that he makes some sense there. He
2: reminds me a lot of Leonard Fournette when he went to Tampa Bay. A little bit. Like that's just, you're
0: going to have a couple more years of probably gold, go to a competitor and be an asset to him. I also think he's a very good pass blocker. And that's something to keep in mind here too. A lot of teams really value that with their like number two running back, their, the guy that's going to be in on third down specifically again this goes back to cincinnati i think cincinnati could make a lot of sense for Kill elliott because of the role that they have lost now with samaj ap ryan going elsewhere speaking of the dallas cowboys they have also added stefan gilmore from the indianapolis colts they got gilmore who played at a borderline pro bowl level last year for a fifth round draft pick now the reason why if i had to guess alex is because of his age. Stefan Gilmore is 32 years old. He was drafted all the way back in 2012. He's been around for a minute. And the last season again played well. This came off of a couple of seasons where you clearly saw his value drop, and a lot of that was due to injuries. The reason why I bring this up, Alex, is because it seems to be a trend right now in the NFL where these older veterans do not have the same value that they once did. A few years ago, we were talking about the Rams. Hey, this is the new era. This is the new way. Trade your draft picks for veterans on decently priced deals. Man, those guys were going for, like, first, second, third-round draft picks at a minimum. Now we're looking at Jalen Ramsey going for a third-round pick. You've got this one where they got basically nothing in return for Stephon Gilmore. And then earlier today, this was a surprise to me, Darius Slay is now expected to be released outright by the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, a borderline Pro Bowl cornerback a year ago. He's getting a little bit older. Do you think this is a trend? And if so, what do you think it means for DeAndre Hopkins and his value on the open market? Because he's also getting up there in age. It's absolutely a trend.
2: I mean, teams are going younger with more control controllable opportunities with individuals. The other thing about it too is it's what we've seen with the quarterbacks and maybe it's just playing into these players that if they've got a lot of money tied to them that they're not going to trade anything of value from the, from their arsenal to get that player when they know that team is hamstrung and you're going to have to release them because you've got to figure out a way to get it off your books to save some cap space. That's when teams feel like they can swoop in. Maybe that's more of the trend now. Uh, and I know that doesn't play into Stefan Gilmore, but I would imagine Darius Lay, teams are going to jump at that opportunity because now they don't have to trade anything for him.
4: I, I don't know if it's a trend for aging players at every position, but I think it is especially at the cornerback position. I, I think when you see all the the young wave of wide receivers that we've seen coming in the NFL over the last handful of years, I think a lot of teams are looking at corners as they get up there into their early 30s and go, man, they take just that one slight step back and it's going to be a lot bigger than it appears because of the aging process. Look, Ramsey, he's getting older and I was shocked the Rams only got a third round pick for him. He did take a step back last year. He, he was not as good as he had been in years past. So I think it's more centered around this kind of this is going to be a trend around the cornerback position. I still think Hopkins is going to have a lot of value around the NFL. He may not be quicker, but he's still a great wide receiver and a great option to have on your
0: team. I think teams are very fearful of corners falling off the map very quickly. I think the same thing is true at wide receiver, honestly. I think that they get a second-round pick at most for DeAndre Hopkins. I would be pretty shocked if they get a first, and at this point, I'm skeptical that they get a second. I would not be surprised if you end up seeing this where the Arizona Cardinals get a conditional 2024 second round pick or if deandre hopkins plays a certain number of games or meets a certain threshold in terms of his overall statistics they get a second round pick and if not that drops down to a third round pick i I don't know that deandre hopkins is going to end up going for as much as we're expecting especially if he ends up needing a new contract for his new team that's another thing that has seemingly turned a lot of teams away as we continue with NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario. guys, there's a new rule change that has been proposed by the LA Chargers. I want to get your thoughts on this. They have proposed a change to the NFL bylaws that would allow wild card teams to be higher than divisional winners in the scenario where the divisional winner had a losing record and the wild card team had at least four more wins than the divisional winners. So, for example, if you had a 7 and 10, divisional winner. They won that that division with a 7-10 and 10 record. <laughs> and then you had a wild card team in that same conference that went 11-6. and six. That wild card team would then host the wild card round against the divisional winner. How do you guys feel about that possibility? So do you think just, that would make things better?
2: So we should call this the NFC South rule. Yes. Because that's essentially what this is. Isn't that what it was last year? Tampa led the division at 8-9. and nine. At 8-9. I, I like it. I... I I don't think a team should be rewarded with a higher seed in the playoffs and have the better matchup when you're the best team out of a crappy division. When the wild card team, let's just take the AFC West, for example, although it didn't perform last year, if you have four teams that are performing at their best, and that's a wild card spot, whereas, and I know it's a completely different conference, but you understand where I'm going with here, it's just ridiculous that a team that is a. M- barely 500 can win the division, have a better seed than a wildcard spot that could win 10
0: games last year. This would have applied to the Cowboys when they ended up having to go to Tampa Bay to play against the Buccaneers. I don't even think you need the th- second part of this. The NFL will, will make that mandatory because of the money that is in, ends up being lost by some of these teams. But I think if you are a divisional winner and you win that division going under 500, whoever the team is, that's a wildcard team should host that game. If they're over 500,
4: I would agree with that. I I think that's fair. I I think if if you're below 500, you don't deserve a home playoff game. And if you're barely above 500, like the opposite of what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were, I I think if you are, I, I think four games is a little too much. I think if you're three games better as that fifth wildcard team, I think you can have that home game from them, too. That's the way I would do it. I don't mind this at all, trying to change that up a little bit, because a team like Tampa Bay did not deserve a home playoff game last year. There's another team not too long ago that had the same thing where they got to host uh, – Wasn't thing that was from Washington. the NFC East? Yeah, I, have to say, I think it was Washington, and they almost beat – I think it was Tampa Bay that year. Almost Heineke, beat Tampa yeah. Bay with Taylor Heineke. I, I don't think you should have the home playoff game if you're below 500. And honestly, I think you need to have about a three-game – what I want to call it elite, but you should be three games better. Than the team that you're taking on to have a home
0: playoff game. All right, final thing as we go through some NFL quick hitters. The big news today is that Aaron Rodgers made his return to the Pat McAfee show and said all of the things that we kind of thought that he would say. He basically said, Hey, going into uh, the darkness retreat, that he had 90%, 90% is what he said he was expecting to retire. When he came out, Decided, nope, it's the opposite. 90% chance that I'm going to return. And then he decided that he wants to play for the Jets. He announced publicly now he's going to play f- football this year. He's going to play football for the Jets. It's just a matter of the Packers getting the right return for Aaron Rodgers. He also uh, insinuated that this is about the Packers not wanting him back more than it is about him not wanting to be back in Green Bay. So Aaron Rodgers is almost certainly going to be a Jet this year. Alex, how do you think this goes? Just open into question. How do you think this goes with Rogers in New York?
2: I, I originally think it's going to go poorly because I just don't think Aaron Rodgers has anything, but I'm, I'm starting to lean more towards, you're going to get a pissed off Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but if you were going to retire and then you come out and from his words, you feel like they're the ones that wanted to get rid of you. Probably very true. Never doubt a man who's ticked off. And I mean, he called them COVID or COVID MVPs, which good old Aaron Rodgers shooting down his success. I, I don't think it's going to go well because of the division that they're in, but I could see them being a wildcard team, and I could see Rodgers having a really good season if he gets his wishes with all of these pieces coming to the New York Jets.
4: I see them kind of scuffling along throughout the year where you'll see spurts where you're like, man, they, they look like a good football team. And then there's going to be times where it looks dysfunctional, I think they're going to be a team that's probably like right around that 500 mark go like nine and eight, something like that, and maybe squeak their way into the playoffs. But I, I could see this going just completely bad like it did in Denver last year where all the hype was around them. They didn't have the quarterback. The coaching was bad. That, that's the one difference I will say, though, is I do think Sala is a great head coach on huh? like what hack it was last year. But I, I see this being kind of a up and down roller coaster for the New York Jets, and they might squeak into the playoffs
0: so their schedule this upcoming year of course they play against the afc east they've also got four games against the afc west so you got the chiefs broncos chargers and raiders there four games against the nfc east it's not an easy division either and then their other three games will be against the browns texans and falcons just for what it's worth that's what their schedule looks like for the upcoming season i think they are the third best team in the afc east And I think they end up going somewhere like 9-8, and 10-7 And and are fighting for that final spot in the AFC playoff race That's how I view them I think we have overestimated how good the Jets are Based on them being fun last year And based on them not having a quarterback last year
2: BK doesn't like fun
0: BK doesn't like magic, Mike I think that the Dolphins are better I think that the Bills are still better I think that's the way that it plays out in the AFC East. I think his stats will be fine. He'll end up throwing 25 plus touchdowns. He won't throw a lot of interceptions. He's the career leader in interception uh rate for the uh for the NFL. I think he'll be fine. I just don't think that he's going to end up putting as big of numbers up as a lot of people are anticipating. I think we'll look back and say, man, we spent a lot of time talking about Aaron Rodgers, and he did not have that amount of impact on the New York Jets. Coming up next, we're playing our weekly game of Can You Beat the Blues? This week, you're going up against Braden Shin. We have our four contestants. The winner will get a pair of tickets to the March 28th Blues game between the Blues and the Canucks and a Nick Letty signed hockey puck. That's all coming up next You're on 101 ESPN
1: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn do you have what it takes to beat the blues now's your chance can you beat the blues
0: presented by two men in a spa dolly great deals on in-stock hot tubs and swim spas Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is time for our weekly game called Can You Beat the Blues? The winner today will get a pair of tickets to the March 28th Blues game between the Blues and the Canucks. They will also get a Nick Letty signed hockey puck. Today you will be going up, our four contestants will be going up against Braden Shin in four separate categories. We've got Ben, Jeff, Rick and Jimmy on the line right now. The way this works, if you're not familiar, it's basically a game of categories. You will get 15 seconds to name as many Different things within a specific category as you can. For example, if I asked Alex, and he was one of the contestants today going up against Braden Shin, Alex, name as many colors as you can in 15 seconds on your mark. Get set, go red, blue, green, yellow, orange,
5: white, uh, gray. Uh,
0: Alex got, let's call it six. Braden Shin ends up getting five. Alex gets a plus one. If that ends up being the best score relative to Braden Shin's, he ends up being the winner. It is a very simple game. It is a game we call Can You Beat the Blues? All right, let's go out To the hotline to hear from Ben. Ben, do you understand the rules of can you beat the blues? I do. All right, Ben, if you could turn your radio down in the background for me. You will be going up against Braden Shin today, and your first category will be Halloween costumes. Name as many Halloween costumes as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get
5: set, go. Uh, Scream, Michael Myers. Banana costume. Uh riding a dinosaur. Um uh, my god. Uh, a cat, a dog. Uh, <laughs> right. Man. Ben. ben got seven I love that the ben. banana costume <laughs> <Yeah>. was second. <laughs> Take me into your head,
2: Ben, because we went from scream to Michael Myers to banana costume.
0: That was a
5: tough one, guys. I'm sorry. Was that from the TV <laughs> no. show?
0: The the guy that's standing around in the banana costume saying we're all looking for the guy that did this?
5: Yeah. Yeah. The,
2: no, he had a uh, banana for breakfast, and he's like, you can dress <laughs> up like a banana. <laughs> all right, Ben.
0: He got seven, correct? Yeah, I got seven. Seven total for Ben. Let's hear how many Halloween costumes Brayden Shin can name in 15 seconds. He's got kids. Uh, Spider-Man costume, Batman costume. Uh, dog, cat, uh, turtle, ninja turtle, uh,
2: secret life, lights of <laughs> life, of pets, person, uh, character. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> uh, he, secret life of pets character, which technically. Is that real? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Uh, now, if we want to be stingy, that would be a dog or a cat. But there are other characters from that film. He
0: could be a bunny rabbit. We'll give it to him. Seven. All right. That was six for me. Did you get six for him? I had seven. seven. You had seven? All right. So that's an even. That's an even score for our guy, Ben. Ben, stay on the line. We'll see if that ends up leading this group. Jeff, you're up next. You're going up against Braden Shin in a game of Can You Beat the Blues. Do you understand the rules, my friend? Yes, sir. All right, Jeff. Your category today things that are sticky name as many things as you can that are sticky in 15 seconds on your mark get set go
3: candy uh syrup oh god uh two sided tape uh scotch tape i guess it's thing
5: um gum i guess Oh, that's five. I like the two-sided yeah, tape no and then smart. the scotch tape. That was a good, that was good work there. I would just duct
0: tape, masking tape. Just <laughs> yeah. would have started reeling those electric tape. Jeff, you got five. How do you feel about your performance today?
5: Uh, we'll see what he does, man. <laughs> All
0: right, we'll All right, find then. out how many things Brayden Shin can name that are sticky.
2: Uh, syrup, honey, gum, um, sauces, barbecue sauce, uh... Fruit. Uh, All
0: right. So it's either five or six, depending on if we give him sauces and then barbecue. I mean, I would because
2: there's more sauces. He just named one specific and he said sauces, which cover more of them. We're going to give him six. I'd give him six.
0: All right. So Jeff, you have unfortunately been eliminated. Good effort today, but you cannot beat. Braden Shen, much less the Blues. All right, Rick, you're up next. How are you feeling about the game? Do you understand the rules?
3: Yeah, it sounds like it's a tough day.
0: <laughs> it can be at times. Braden Shen is pretty decent at this. All right, Rick, you have the following category. Name as many different school subjects as you can in 15 seconds. As many different school subjects as you can in 15 seconds. On your
5: mark, get set, go. Math, English, Psychology, philosophy, uh, science class, chemistry, uh, biology, psychology.
2: Uh, and, uh okay, I got I got seven, seven because so he said he, he repeated science and he repeated psychology twice. Okay, I got seven. So I got seven. We That's what got T-Bone got? Seven. Yeah, i seven. got. Yeah, seven. Okay,
0: all right, seven cat or seven different school subjects is what Rick was able to get. Now let's find out how many Braden Shin is able to name. He does have kids, but he hasn't been in school in a good minute now. Math, biology, chemistry, gym, cooking, uh, woodworking class, uh, this guy hasn't been to school he's in a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he was able to get six. So Rick is a plus one right wow. now with his performance on school subjects. He's he's the leader in the clubhouse. Ben, unfortunately, you have been eliminated. We are now uh. with the final contestant, Alex. Jimmy is Jimmy. on the line. Jimmy, do you understand I, I, the rules of the game? I do. All right, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. you got to beat Braden Shin by more than one in order to win outright. If you beat him by one, you're going to a playoff. Here is your category things that you would do on a date night. Name as many things as you can that you would do on a date night in 15 seconds on your mark. Get
5: set. Go Take her off for dinner. Um, Pick her up at her house. Meet her parents. Buy her corsage. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Doggone it. Um, I uh, do uh, <laughs> Can't do it.
0: <laughs> all right, Jimmy, I oh, got hey. four. Buying a corsage is a yeah. good one. Damn. I haven't done you that go, in a hot minute, You though. go all <laughs> out on those dates there, Jimmy. All right. Man. Now let's find out how many things Brayden Shin can name that he would do on a date in 15 seconds. Dinner, movie, um... Hands, kiss, uh conversation,
2: um romance. <laughs> romance.
0: All right, Braden Shin. Got six. six, so Jimmy has been eliminated. That means Rick is our winner today. Rick, you're getting a pair of tickets to the March 28th game between the Blues and the Canucks and a Nick Letty signed hockey puck. Rick, congratulations. Oh, right. You were able to beat the Blues today. Way
2: to go, Rick. Oh.
0: I like the excitement. That's what I'm talking about. Rick was able to Come beat on, the Blues. Come on, Rick. This is a tough day for our contestants. This was. These are tough categories. You think so? Yeah, I mean, the st- I would have I struggled with the sticky. That would have been tough. I would have been having a very difficult time with the school things subjects.
2: I would have been good costumes. I would have been good with, and then
0: that last one, I think I would have been. It would I have feel been like tough. with the costumes. You just immediately go to like one category, well, right? Kids costumes, guys costumes, girls like when whatever started, it is. You gotta go.
2: When you well, started Spider Man, I'm like, take it, run. Yep.
0: Like say Spider Man, and then just start naming off every Marvel character. Or like you go Disney princesses, right? You've got a daughter, you know, yeah. like just go down the line of the list yep. of Disney characters that you could go with as a. The date would Halloween have been costume. tough because I, <laughs> I mean. I date
2: my wife, but Alex. I've been on like an actual date in a long time. Body. What? We you, do the same thing. It's dinner, and let's go home and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: makes all the sense in the world. I <laughs> right, we'll be back next week with Can You Beat the Blues next Thursday. Uh, we did it a day early this week because tomorrow we're going to be out in Alton, Illinois for the first round action of the NCAA tournament. It tips off tomorrow and Friday, and we'll be broadcasting live at Max in downtown Alton, we will be there from 11 to 2. The fast lane will be there from 2 to 6. But let's be honest, we're all going to be there from 11 to 6 the next couple of days. Come out, enjoy some delicious food, the coldest beer, plenty of screens to watch all of the first-round madness, and much more. Plus, here's the big one. We are going to have a chance for you to score a pair of tickets to Metallica at the Dome on Sunday, November 5th. BK and Ferrario on the fast lane, both live Thursday and Friday for the tournament at Max in downtown Alton. We're going to hit the rewind coming up next.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers On 101 ESPN Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and
3: Ferrario Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage Google the bagel loan Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs
0: I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A little bit of NFL news before we get out of here today. The Patriots have signed Juju Smith-Schuster, so they are improving their wide receiver core. Uh, They have officially signed Juju Smith-Schuster, no details yet. On what that deal is going to be Super Bowl champion to a Super Bowl champion. We will be broadcasting live tomorrow from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. And I, for one, am thrilled. This is our annual bonding trip that the three of us get to take together. Uh, I know last year, Marshy uh, stuck around for a while. We were able to make a bunch of bets together over on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's a great time had by all. I don't remember them. We are... (laughs) Of course you don't. You were out at 4 o'clock, man. The three of us (laughs) take it a step further, though. We stay at an Airbnb together. Alex will check it for bedbugs for us. T-Bone will fall asleep sleep on the couch and couch bugs and That's we'll right. have a great time you guys excited i looking forward to i it?
2: for one can't wait to catch up on some sleep with no blues game i'm gonna finish at six head back to the airbnb get my pjs on turn on a nice movie and be out by 7 30
0: T-Bone's okay. excited. I am excited. T-Bone's He's in away danger. from Mima for the week. <laughs> T- <laughs> He's very <laughs> excited. T-Bone's in danger. Uh, last year, T-Bone enjoyed the whiskey that we had a bit too much, woke up the next morning, and the Cardinals had signed Corey Dickerson, and Tanner's reaction was essentially, I don't feel well. T- I <laughs> am unwell. <laughs> Tanner
2: at 9.30 was hiccuping and didn't stop until, I believe, 7 a.m. Actually, didn't we wake up and
0: Tanner wasn't in the Airbnb? We're like, dude, where are you? Last year, that night, we had that great game between San Francisco and Murray State State in the first round of the tournament. Uh, So hopefully we get another one of those. I'm looking forward to breaking down all of the action with you guys tomorrow from 11 to 2 for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're hoping to be very unwell tomorrow with you guys at Max and downtown Alton here on 101 ESPN.